the Empress. That should sound really good through my mic. <laughs> um, so when reversed, or as we in the biz call it, inverted, uh, smothering, burnout, possessiveness, blocked creativity. Uh, the Empress reversed can indicate overabundance. You may be feeling stifled by the clutter in your home. You may feel heavy after overindulging in rich foods and drink. <laughs> This card is a reminder that though it is good to treat ourselves well, too much of a good thing is not beneficial. This card can also show up when someone is trying to do too much to care for other people. Uh, the best helping and caring is done when we take time to rest and nourish ourselves. In whatever capacity you help others, be sure you are enjoying the process, uh, not just the end results. Finally, the Empress Reverse can indicate trouble with your mother or mother figure or difficulty embodying femininity or the mother role. It would be beneficial for you at this time to explore your thoughts and feelings about femininity and nurturing. I love the way it's very almost passive aggressive. Like, <laughs> like hey, uh, I can't tell you too much, but it would be beneficial if you know what I mean, if you like, it's like they don't want to tell you too much, but they've got dirt on you. And they're like, look, I'm going to tell you what to do, but uh, you know, you might want to look at this. <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> oh man, that's so awesome! I don't think anyone's ever really felt, uh, you know, being talked down to by the tarot cards before, like a parent. So that's fun. You know. Yeah, you know what? I literally feel like fuck you, tarot lady, right now. I'm like just. <laughs> <laughs> Don't patronize me, bitch. Stop telling me to overindulge. I'm stuck inside. I can't do anything else. <laughs> I uh, like cheese. <laughs> Live with it. Welcome to Fuck Your Tarot Lady episode 32. My guest today is Ryan Chamley. Ryan, how are you, man? Man, I'm I'm really stoked to be doing this, hey. Like I'm I'm just thrilled. And that's and being thirty nine thrilled is a, a word I use now. Oh, thrilled. You're thrilled. I'm trying to phase out stoked because I'm too old to be using stoked. Oh. I'm starting to employ some old people words like thrilled. Yeah, thrilled. <laughs> I like thrilled. I'm thrilled to have you on the show too, man. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you going? Thanks, man. I'm really well, man. Despite what that card may may imply. <laughs> <laughs> don't let it linger too much you know sometimes people get personal with the cards it's like whoa hey man it's just the cards i can't really do anything about it let's um jump straight into a lightning round ryan we'll we'll kind of get a bit of a feel for origins uh and stuff that you've yeah. done in your past and uh if anyone listening knows you and i are quite connected in our past so our stories are probably going to intersect a lot in some of these early stories yeah right, man which is very mad I feel like if it was like a prequel or an origin story, you'd be like, whoa, they knew each other back then? That's fucking sick. Yeah, how did they think to do that? It's like, oh, that's just yeah. how it was. <laughs> we didn't really plan it. Um, so when you were growing up around the house, Ryan, and there was no parental, con uh, there was no control over the music, what were your parents or like siblings listening to music-wise in the house? So my dad would, would crank music, which was quite cool. Um, so he would... Uh, Big on Ice House, that uh, Electric Blue album. Oh, no, sorry, Man of Colors album. Uh, a lot of, like, the Highwaymen, like Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Chris Christopherson. Um, yeah, it, just Willie Nelson in general. Um, 
a lot of records like yeah he'd play uh they're my main ones are oh john farnham yeah hammer john farnham which back at the time i think he was like oh you're a bit of a pop guy now that i think of it like he was just in a pop music i guess at the time like pop rock <laughs> dad dad rock yeah that's awesome, man. Uh, what about uh, any embarrassing MSN screen names or MySpace names from back in the day? Uh, my shittest one was probably Super Saiyan Chem. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, what about worst tattoo? Do you have a worst tattoo? I've got a gigantic tattoo of Jesus that covers half my arm. <laughs> 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 Enough said. Keep moving. Um, who who was the musical influence on you in the house? Like, was it was it dad's dad rock, or like, what was the kind of music that made you start being like, "Ooh, music's cool." Like, I can get into this. Yeah. So early on, it was definitely the stuff dad was listening to. Um, you know, I loved Ice House, um, particularly Electric Blue, um, John Farnham. Uh, then I kind of developed my own sort of taste pretty young, um, which was kind of like pretty poppy. I didn't, I didn't really have any of those oh shit sort of moments until grade six when I heard Use Your Illusion 2 by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> and Civ- Civil War was like, yeah, that song still to this day just give me, gives me chills. But I wasn't allowed to listen to it because my mum was like, it's got swearing. So, you know, I, I had to kind of hide this tape that I had of it and listen it with headphones and sneakily, um, yeah, listen to Guns N' Roses. That's awesome. Now, one of my questions here is also first album you bought with your own money. Was that Use Your Illusion 2 or did someone hand that to you? No, someone gave that to me. So, and look, mind you, this is in the day before CDs were a thing. So these were all tapes. So first album I bought with my own money... Uh, well, I'll, I'll do two more because they, they're quite interesting. So, the first album I was ever given was the Ghostbusters soundtrack on vinyl when I was like three or four. Sick. It was, it was sick. Um, the first album I won was Rock Set, but it was, uh, it was the one after Joyride where they kind of like were coming down off the peak. But the first album I bought was Green Day Dookie. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. Dude. Yeah. Um, what was the first instrument you played and why? Guitar. Because I, well, I loved music. So in year eight, like my mum played guitar. She was a guitar teacher, which is very traditional. And it'd be like, you know, learning the notes and like, you know, um, Yankee Doodle and stuff. And I'm like, no, that's boring. I don't have the time to do all that shit to get good. But then I, um, I, it was a pretty distinct memory. I was watching Kirk Hammett do a solo on um, Live Ship Binge and Purge. And I used to watch that all the time in year eight. And I, as I was watching, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I've got to play guitar. Um, so I said to my mom, like, can you not show me any of that other stuff? Like, can you just show me what these, what the chords are? And then I'll just go away and make the rest up. And so she, um, I had the tab music to Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I was like, just show me the hand shapes and then I'll go away and work out the rest. So it was very much like a DIY style, but it was Metallica. It was Kirk Hammett playing just ripping solos and i could never even when i was playing i could never solo like <laughs> i was never never dedicated enough but 
That's good. It brings me to my next question, one that we will never not ask again after the last episode, which is Metallica or Megadeth. Obviously, it's a Metallica for you there. Oh, for sure. Megadeth, oh, you got a lot of metalheads that listen to this show, so I don't want to get any... I don't want to get any jihads put out on me. But no, yeah. you can shit on Dave Mustaine. It's fine. Go for it. Yeah, the dude sucks, man. <laughs> the dude fucking sucks. Like, all you've got to do is listen to, like, his version of Four Horsemen. And it's like, no wonder you're out of the fucking band. <laughs> Go start your own shit, idiot. Um, yeah. Favorite music, favorite music video? Oh, man. Um... I love Everlong by the Foo Fighters. Yeah, great um, clip. Great clip. But yeah, I, there's too too many. <laughs> that that's the one that that's the one that sticks in my mind though. <laughs> that's awesome. And to finish it off, I know that like gig is a bit of a. I mean, I guess we could talk about it as music, but you know, you work in film as well, so maybe worst gig, best gig, and this is the broadest this question's ever been, Ryan, because it could be oh. like a gig you've played, a gig you've been to, a gig you've shot. I don't know, maybe best and worst of of some of some of, some of the career highlights uh, and lowlights. Well, I've got to be careful because I still run like a um a, a commercial production company too, so I don't know if I can go into worst filming gig so to speak. Um, the worst, worst gig was like that I've, that I've played or, or there's been some heinous stuff that I've done like video wise that I can't <laughs> as well. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to think of one that I can tell. Um, you do some, you do some weird shit. I mean, I guess, look, to, to speak back to the burnout card, I guess that, for a while, because I was doing like corporate video work for so long, I guess that anything corporate to me felt like just hell. So there, there was a slew of like, you know, when you're, it's a bit different now that we've gone and done our own thing and coming back and it's a bit more of like a, a business. But like when you're a creative and you're like, you want to do, you, you know, I wanted to be a filmmaker and I had cameras and I'm doing this stuff and I was so close, but I, but I was making stuff for other people and like for their businesses and sometimes it has to be super salesy. I was like, this is so, this is almost worse than if, if I was way further away from my dream, like to be there, to be like, almost like mimicking or pretending to be a filmmaker, making salesy stuff to sell products is almost worse than like having never have tried. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the kind of point I got to with it. Um, and then musically, uh, like. It's funny because when you're in a band, like even, you know, you'd play a shitty gig to 10 people in like, like I've played to, played to three people in Canberra, but then years later, they're the ones you remember with you, with your old band buddies and like, fuck, remember when we did that gig and it becomes like way better than, than the good gigs you did? Like those shitty life moments where you were in the middle of some butt fuck down, playing to nobody, eating, accidentally having dinner at like a topless bar, you didn't know, like, yeah, it's just... Those sorts of memories are the ones you remember. You, you never talk about like, oh, I remember when we did that really good gig because, yeah, it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about if you're not successful like I was not successful. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
That's awesome, man. So let's let's get into it. For anyone who doesn't know, twelve minutes into this podcast or however long I edit this thing down, is that too long? I tend to ramble. No, not at all. Like, I, this has this show has no real flow anyway. Sometimes the lightning round takes up <laughs> half the show. Sometimes it doesn't. But I want to get into a little bit more of your origins for listeners who don't know, because you yeah. started as a dude in a band playing shows, and like you were. Like, were you messing around with cameras, like skating and stuff back when you were younger? Is that how you first yeah. got into camera stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Skate videos, um, borrowed, borrowed parents and other people's parents' cameras, two VCRs, like, um, Robert Rodriguez. One, yeah. Yeah. One with the, it'd be one like playing the, the tricks that we landed. The other one would be recording that, but also have a CD player plugged into the back of it through the auxiliary so we could play like strung out over the over the tricks no shit that's amazing yeah so it was a, it was quite a process so like you would do the first round you'd, you'd play the video the camera and then you'd, you'd have the other one on pause and when someone lands a trick you just unpause and then pause again then you take that video you put it in and then you play that and then you record it on the other one but you have cd player auxiliary out into the auxiliary in so you're putting like you know punk music and stuff over it it That's was all amazing. real and that that was all real time like you had to like let it play out but obviously you know the the quality degrades each time that you that you do it <laughs> so it sounds good and the edits are great and you know it's got like pennywise over the top but it just looks like chewed up tape yeah it looks like your dad's barbecue christmas 83 <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So how old were you when you were doing that kind of stuff, like skating and getting into punk rock and um, filming and stuff? Uh, like 16, 17, 18, when, it, when I was first sort of doing it, yeah. I rollerbladed for, for a few years before that. And what, <laughs> what, what era was this? Was it cool to rollerblade then or was it not cool to rollerblade then? When was it cool to rollerblade? What was the acceptable what? time frame? I don't, well, I don't think there has been one. <laughs> so I got, um, but funnily enough, rollerblading got me into Pennywise. Oh, which was, really? Which was life changing. Yeah. Cause I heard it on a rollerblading video and I, first time I heard that double kick, that drums, I was like, what the fuck is this music? It was like actually life changing. Um, but then I started skateboarding cause it's just way cooler. Yeah. Still cool. Not, and not, and not an image thing as well. It's, it's just like the, I just much preferred being on a board than having the skates on the feet. And no offense to rollerbladers if there are any listening, but like what kind of tricks can you do as a rollerblader versus a skateboarder? Like is there a, is there a breadth of, like is there a Tony Hawk's pro rollerblader? If there was, would you be able to uh, do cool shit? I don't the, think so. The flip tricks and stuff, like backflips, like there's rollerbladers out there can do like triple backflips on verts and stuff like that. That's pretty um, cool actually. Yeah, pretty cool. But you're not like, oh, that's sick. <laughs> um, but I like, I still shred on rollerblades. Like I, I've chucked them on for jokes before at skate parks and can still like soul grind and, <laughs> and like 360 and stuff, which is hilarious because I'm 6'3". <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if you're doing like triple backflips, the weight's going to be all off. You know, no, you're too no, no. big. You need to be a little dude. Um, so tell us about, so you were, you were skating and you're listening to punk rock. When was the first time you started a band with your friends? Like when did that start? Yeah. So, um, I, well, yeah, me, me and my friend Isaac, who was a drummer, first band, no plan B, like we were kind of always jamming, but, and I would have been like maybe 15, 16, 
because I remember always having to get lifts out to his place and like we we try and fit amps in and all that stuff. So we were we would just do like Mill and Colin and Frenzel covers, um, you know, any any fat record stuff that we had the capacity to play, we would play it. Um, and then that kind of that kind of I guess evolved into my first band, No Plan B. Um, with the mighty Damo Morris of Redshaw. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was pretty sick meeting. I met Damo at a Christian youth concert. Um, <laughs> who played and, it? That, who headlined the Christian youth concert? Oh, fuck. I don't know, man. It was like, it wasn't POD. Oh, hey. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen a lot throughout. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> one of Ryan's idea. children have, as a prodigy has popped inside the room. Yeah. Oh, she's settled in too. Hey, what are you doing? Okay. What she whispered? She whispered something. Getting a stapler. Oh, important. Got it? <laughs> stapler hey. in hand. Very nice. <laughs> so so you met um, so you met Damo Morris at a Christian <laughs> It was called Youth Live. And and he had a... and back in the day, you remember the day where a t shirt would be like, oh, that dude's wearing a band shirt. I've got to go talk to that guy. Were you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so uh, he had a strung out hoodie on, and I, and we were like, we got to go talk to that dude. Like, so we we chatted, um, <laughs> we chatted. And then Isaac ended up playing drums for the, his band that Damon was in, and I don't know if you know Isaac, but it's got this vision come back of like they played at the Salvation Army. <laughs> <laughs> this, youth, this youth night, this has just come flooding back. And and there was... <laughs> Isaac got off the drums. <laughs> this is at a Salvation Army gig with like all like Christian Salvation Army people. Um, He got off his drums, grabbed Damo's mic and farted into it. <laughs> like at the end of the set, like to finish it no, off? No, like, like mid, like mid, like between songs. Because <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, so so Damo um, ended up playing bass for that band, and we ended up living together and stuff. And that that was, I guess, the start of when I, you know, shit got real. We were like, yeah, let's let's do this. And, and like, was, yeah. So how old were you then? Like, at what age are you guys living together? Like, paint the picture for us, because you and Damo in a house together. Like, that sounds amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty trashed. Um, so, well, I well, I had my twenty first at that house. So I was probably when we moved in, nineteen. Yeah. In wow. this uh, this house in Newcomb, there was like it was like we never we neither of us cooked, neither of us cleaned, neither of us had any money. Like it was, you'd get get Centrelink or like I I had a job that was paying me like five hundred bucks a fortnight. So I'd get, we'd get paid around the same time. We'd like eat KFC for a couple of days, blow all our money and be like, all right, well, I guess we'll just not eat for a couple of weeks. Um, but it was, it was the raddest, man. It was really cool. Like that's when I really got to know him a lot better too. Um, so yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd live there. We'd, we'd write songs. We'd go band practice with Isaac. Um, I just didn't remember like we, we toured as well while I was living there too. And we had like one dollar shorts stay there and stuff, and and anti skeptic and all like these bands we were playing with, we were like, they were like, oh, "Do you have a place to crash?" And we're like, "Yeah, fuck yeah!" 
And then they get there and there's no bedding. There's no, like, the house is trashed. And and I'm kind of like, looking back now, they'd be like, well, what the fuck? Why'd they say that? And I'm like, well, technically we have a place to crash. If you want, like, a bed, maybe be more specific next time. Yeah, I thought you guys were punk rock, you know? <laughs> yeah. There was one band from, from New Zealand that came over and, and at our house, it was like anti-skeptic wishful thinking in this band. And the New Zealand band just cracked the shits. And this dude was just sitting on the couch with his arms folded. And I was such an asshole, man. I just put garbage bags over him. And I was like, night, bro. Fuck off. Like, we're partying. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Tensions between you and New Zealand have never been the same. Um, yeah. So, at this point, like, were you thinking you're like, I'm going to be a band dude. Like, I'm already in a band. Oh, I'm, yeah. Like, that was just your, like, that's where you focused all your energy. Yeah, every everything was banned. Like how how is it going to affect the band? Um yeah, it it was it was just life. Band was life. So, when did things when did things start to change? Like uh at what point in your like mid 20s or late 20s did you start to diversify? When did when did it change? Um massively when I had a kid. Of course. So tell yeah. us about that. So, you're a young dad. Like you've got you've got four yeah. you've got four kids, right? Yeah, yeah. Four. So we so so it was it became pretty clear quite quickly that Damo wanted to to front a metal band. Um and because we both took music so seriously, it started affecting our friendship. Um so I was like, hey, I'd rather be your mate and support what you do than like have pissy arguments about this little punk band. So why, why don't we just not do it? I'll go start like a rock band and, and I'll just come to all your metal shows and you'll be happiest doing that. Cause I, and he was like, all right, cool. Like, fuck yeah. So he went and joined a silent betrayal, um, which were so rad. Yeah. And then obviously, uh, the red shore, um, which is really cool. And just a side on a silent betrayal, like Jack, is is the one drawing stuff for the the animation I'm working on, which is is pretty special. Um, anyway, so I started another band called Armageddon Sky, which is like a rock band, a rock band in a time where no one wanted to hear rock. Like it, it was pretty unfortunate, really. Like I should have just written breakdowns and and just had fun with that. But anyway, but, um, but you decided to start a rock band because you love Bon Jovi and yeah. Was, yeah. that, was that the inspiration for Armageddon Sky? Like, what were the bands that were floating around at that time when you started that band? It was probably more that, like, post-punk kind of, like, Taking Back Sunday, um, Matchbox Romance, um, that kind of, uh, that kind of scene. The used... Um, Taste of but, Chaos. But it, yeah, but it never really took off here. Well, no, it did, because... No, because even, like bands that went quite big like getaway plan like they started off as just metal kids like they used to support us and they'd be screaming away and stuff like that and then they bring out these pop rock songs and just destroy and kiss chasey as well oh, so which yeah. which leads me to think that we just weren't that good <laughs> we, we, we weren't we weren't marketable either like you know two two dads and four christian dudes from creswick like in geelong <laughs> That never, that never went out and partied and like hung out with people. Like, it's, we're not marketable band. Um, 
<laughs> I love that you've got but, the power of hindsight now to just be like, yeah, that was just going to never work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, some of the songs were, were really good. I'll, I'll give us that. But, you know, I, I was never going to put in the effort to be the kind of musician that you need to be to succeed. Um, so anyway, uh, and around when I was 23, I think we got um, my girlfriend, wife now, uh, we got pregnant. So I, I kept doing the band thing for a couple of years um, when we had Eva, but it was, it was just really hard. Like I, when, when it was just me, like being a, having this dream of being in a band and being a band dude, didn't really matter if I didn't have any money. But the, when you sort of got someone relying on you and, and a kid and stuff, it gets pretty old pretty quickly. And I'd say like, well, I mean, it got old slowly. I feel like I was probably trying to give it a crack a couple of years after I should have. <laughs> but anyway, so I'd always loved filmmaking and, and cameras and all that sort of stuff and animation. I, I never had really a clue of how to do anything. But it was around, so I, uh, I was... It was post Game Rush. I was working at Blockbuster in Newcomb. Uh, Eva was like one or two, my daughter, my first daughter. And I was just hating it. And my wife was like, why don't you go back and study? Because we're, we're broke anyway. Like, let's be broke and, and get some qualifications. Let's upskill. Yeah. So I was like, all right, fuck yeah. So I went and did, um, I did like a cert four in media at the Gordon, which I loved. I loved everything about it, like the animation side of it, the web design. And it was all like really base level stuff um you know i did little star wars short films and stuff like that yeah um, oh man i remember telling mal how you painstakingly like rotoscoped all of the lightsabers <laughs> yeah. across all the frames and i remember watching you do it i was like me and like toby from a form theory came over yeah. to sit and watch you just like animate these lightsabers it was just like oh god this is gonna take so long and you did it man it looked amazing like it took you fucking probably like three days to do it but you know, it looked yeah, great. Yeah, it took ages. And then Brendan, who I work with now, but was teaching back at the time, came up and he's like, oh, hey, have you, have you checked out the lightsaber plug-in? <laughs> I'm like, fuck. <laughs> um, but, um, but I got a job at, at this place, Room 3 in Melbourne, and that's where I sort of really got to, uh, yeah, I guess branch out as a filmmaker. I saw what they were doing, and it, for the first time, it sort of became an actual... Um, possibility i guess i'm like oh cool so i started that i stopped playing music but it was still very involved like that's in room three i was pretty fortunate enough to be able to to develop my own style whilst also being under some really good mentors that were like really good and they they really they're a real hustle company and and they i get a lot of my hustle from that so it wasn't like at a company it's like okay you're gonna produce it and you're gonna do the finance and you're gonna write the storyboard and you're gonna shoot it and you're gonna cut it and you're gonna then cut it online and then you're going to color it it was just like everybody does fucking everything and you you just put in until the job's done um which was a kind of a very band mentality like so it, it felt like a pretty natural and all this stuff has really affected the way i sort of run a business with stew i guess so um and then got made redundant from so i did my first music videos there though which was cool so i think it was like house vs hurricane and forgiven arrival um we did the red shore doco um, and like a behind crimson eyes clip, a few things like that where I just got to cut my teeth, and then I got made redundant. So then I was like, "Well, fuck! I guess I I'll go out on my own." So I got a job at JB, and then when I wasn't working there, I'd be making 
predominantly music videos for people, um, which is sort of where you and I started like working together. And yeah, so that, I guess that's how it kind of, I think I would have made that transition without kids anyway, but the kids having Eva and then Joby, of course, um, that kind of, yeah, just made the stakes a bit higher. So instead of dabbling, I was like, well, I've got to make this fucking work. Otherwise I'm going to be, I'm going to be like working in a factory or some shit. Yeah, that's and that's something that uh, needs to be commended so so much, Ryan. That you've like pushed through to that point of like where so many people like will go, oh, it's too hard now. I'm gonna give up on my dreams, and you just have to like push through, even with the kids, even with the thing, and like get it happening. And now like we're talking about your success story on a podcast, so you know, totally worth it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was, man. I, I couldn't have done it without Maddie though. Like you know, she's been there the whole time, and we definitely are a team. So it's just you know, I get the glamorous sort of side of the story, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but Maddie's there producing away in the background as well, which is lovely that you guys can work together like that. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's great. So um, I think, I guess being in a band, like you said, gave you a lot of leg up, I guess, in that world, especially doing music videos because you understood. Something that you failed to mention, Ryan, that I can dig up from your past is the Bitter Box Splinters music video that we shot in Dan's room <laughs> slash shed. And I'm going to put yeah. that on the YouTube playlist because it is on YouTube. I already did some sneaking around and I found it. So I'm going to put it up <laughs> so we can see. Because that was the first time, I guess. Because how old would, when would that have been? Because I would have been uh, under 18 at that point, right? When we shot that music video. So I feel like we, I feel like it was Game Rush days. Yeah. So we had, for listeners. Because Dale was, Dale was there, wasn't he? He was, it was like Dale, I think he directed Sean. it in inverted commas. Yeah, Dale, Sean, Dan, I, f I feel like T-Boy or one of those dudes were there, or Jake, like one one of the, who's the, who's the big dude with the with the mohawk? T T Is that T-Boy? T-Hawk? I think, I th yeah, I think so. They, they he just... was there, but he was just sort of that kick in it, I remember. Yeah. He was like, yeah, this looks sick, dudes, keep keep doing your thing. So, <laughs> for, for listeners who are a little confused about what Game Rush is, it was the greatest video game store that ever existed in Geelong. <laughs> so, when I was 16, I was working at McDonald's, and I used to go into Game Rush all the time, because it was in the mall, any Geelong listeners know the mall, where Speakies is, and all the mall rats would hang out, and there was this video game shop that was owned by Blockbuster, and uh, that's where I met Dan. That's where you met Dan. You became the assistant manager. Is that right? Yeah. And that's where I met you. I still remember meeting you. <laughs> you were just this fucking super long hair, Joey's bag on your back. And you were just like, hey, man, what's up? You're in fucking Armageddon Sky. That's sick, man. How good is it working in a video game store? Fuck, man. You got you like killing it. This is sick. Hey, is Dan around? Like, and I'm like, whoa, who is this kid? But then, like, you were just in every day with, like, your crew and, like, yeah, it was it's just so, just such a ball of, like, positive energy. <laughs> and I think, I don't think I saw you in a bad mood for, like, Oh, yeah, until the, years. until the shoots we went on and it was, like, tired and I was cranky and hadn't had food and. <laughs> yeah, where you were, like. Cracked it. Yeah, I remember one in the van, we were, like, talking about something. Yeah, well, guys, that's all good, but I reckon we should just come back tomorrow and, like, whoa, whoa, wait, like, just cool your jets, bro. <laughs> Oh man, when uh, I when I snap, it's like a Ned Flanders when the house gets rebuilt kind of snap. Yeah. Like I'll just bury it until I have to just get really frustrated. I always used to joke about that. I'm like, I've never seen him in a bad mood. What's the bet? He just like kills people when he like, you know, it's just what he goes like Michael Douglas falling down. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, look, hopefully I've tried to keep my rage in check, but uh, people can tell me otherwise that I have not. But yeah, we we all have our problems, you know. I'd rather bury my anger in like positivity and let it come out every once in a while. I think that's probably more beneficial for the world than me being a bitter jerk all the time. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I started I started working at Game Rush because I was 16 and like Dan hired me because I think he just needed someone who was really young to put on public holidays to like pay really cheap rates, which was amazing. Um no, I think it was more than that, man. Like, Dan very much has hired dudes he liked. Oh, that's good to so, know. So, yeah. Because it would have been like a million 16-year-old kids that wanted to to work there. Oh, and what a dream it was to, like, go from during the week working at Macca's and flipping burgers to, like, on the weekend, like, selling Xboxes to people and being like, this is the job. And, like, you were always playing, like, Bon Jovi DVDs on, like, the TV <laughs> behind. So, like, customers would just be confused while there was always, like, rock and, and the kill, the Kill Switch DVD. Yeah, the Kill Switch DVD. Oh, fuck. And, there was and a- the... um. And the, I remember when the power went out one day, we just had lightsaber fights in the back. Correct. Until, yeah. There were like those, uh, Actually, the lightsabers listeners, the ones that are like full, big, light up prop, make the, the noise first and they ones clash. That came out. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. Funny, funny side note, only because I know you're editing and can cut it out if it's irrelevant. But um, <laughs> remember, remember Matt, the other manager? Yes. He got in touch with me recently and he's like, hey, I watched, I watched this show on netflix and then i watch it behind the scenes and i'm like oh shit it's you and i actually worked in retail with this guy so he reached out like later and um yeah it was it was pretty funny i think it was pretty surreal for him oh man and i'm sure that uh listeners are probably starting to get a picture painted now that uh rostered on is very much based on your experiences working at game rush working at jb hi-fi yeah. <laughs> like very much i'm so. sure you were just sitting there thinking fuck this show writes itself once you've been in retail for as long as you had been because at that point you'd seen it all you know like every fucking yeah, yeah absolutely customer trying to fuck you over or get a better deal and all those great little moments that happened in rostodon where you're like oh my god i actually experienced that like so many times over <laughs> yeah. christmas 2006 you know it's like fucking getting yeah ptsd but we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to rostodon uh, eventually yeah, yeah. you've still got a, a, an illustrious career to talk about because we did Oh, thank you. When we worked together, you'd had a lot of cool, like you were kind of like the go-to guy for a sh- for that, like that window of a couple of years when like, you know, you're doing b- videos for Confession and like you did uh, yeah. Dream on Dreamer and who else was, and like I killed the prom queen as well. Yeah, we did prom. Um, uh, I can't, I, I, one, about a year ago, I went through and kind of got all of, all of the clips I directed and put them on YouTube. And I think it was like over 40. Um you know, wow. I just linked them. To, yeah, I linked them to a playlist on on YouTube, um, and it was really cool. Like, you know what? I'm gonna see if I can find it. Yeah, please uh, send us that link, and I'll put it in the show notes so everyone can um, see all the clips. But yeah, like great. we did. You know, we did. We were doing live stuff as well. Um, typing my name into YouTube. That's always scary. Just in case. Yeah, that we did that move to strike one with like disintegrating. Yeah. Um, clones. Oops. Yeah, we did Body Jar. Um, what was the What was the Andy's... band where I was there and they the monster van rolled up and like dropped off a bunch of monster cans? Who was that? We did that in like the Mill Market warehouse. Oh, uh, Sounds of Cyrus. Yeah, I just remember that's when I knew I'd made it because I was working on a film clip. That the monster, <laughs> the monster car yeah, rolled same. up and just dropped a bunch of slabs off. Like, wow, we could just have these like for free. Yeah, man. It was a couple for, um, did in trenches, um, you know, like four or five confession ones, the mighty electric dynamite, did these nuts, Chuck the stripper, yeah. crown Kings. Um, uh, what else? Miracles now, Josh, 
Yeah, who was um? Oh, we did Grant's band, Velvet City. Remember oh, that? another Game Rush alum. Yeah, I'd love to know what he's doing these days. I just know it's something epic. It's either like he's like full gone epic, or like he's mellow and selling cars. <laughs> and and you'd meet him. He's like, hey man, how are you? Yeah, what 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 kind of like insurance rates are you getting? <laughs> like it would be like a, a total flip. I'd absolutely love to know what he's doing. Now. He he had a bass clef tattooed on himself somewhere, didn't he? Like on his hand. Or on something? his hand. Yeah, I feel like only if, tattoo he had. If you're gonna tattoo a bass clef on your hand, you're a, you're a bass man for life. Like, how are you gonna sell cars and then be like, oh, this old thing? Yeah, I slap a mean bass. You know, like that's a. I don't know. Dude, his stories were all time. <laughs> Just talking about he'd like he'd take acid and stare at an oven and be like, I, we we cook things in here. We put food in, comes out, you eat it. Like, <laughs> amazing! Yeah, it's, it's can't be, can't believe the world we live in. <laughs> so, so you've got this you've got this wonderful base where, like, you know, you've got good mates. You're working these fun jobs. You're getting into video. You're doing these videos now. And at this point, I guess you're you're doing music videos. But like you said, you wanted to be a filmmaker. What was the point where you made that leap to kind of stop doing music videos and kind of move on to something that was like a, a bigger project or maybe? Yeah. Well, the thing about music vids is, is they're great, but they're, they're a lot of work for not a lot of money. And, you know, because each band I've worked with, I, I kind of had some personal connection with, I, I wanted to go over and above and don't regret it or begrudge anything. But, you know, when, when you kind of like, okay, I, I want to make this career, can't the business model of, of, going over and above for mates bands just isn't a sustainable one um so i i started doing like just corporate videos as well and they they pay really well um so then that i don't know the, the it was just it was quite organic like it was just you know i had a, a mindset of like well i want to do this full time i'm going to do absolutely every single skerrick of work i can whether you know i don't really care how much it pays or whatever whatever I do though. I want it to be like the best quality I can, so that if someone sees it, they go, "Yeah, we, we used Ryan or Robot Army. Um, uh, he was great. Got a great product for the price." And you know, it was all about word of mouth, which is kind of like that band mentality, I guess. Like play every show, like playing to a hundred thousand people. Mm. Um, so it was when I. Uh, it, it was just pretty organic. Like, like I said, like, you know, I started working kind of other production companies, um, you know, freelancing as, a, and because I'd been at room three and sort of learnt or like camera editing, lighting, all that sort of stuff. Like I was quite valuable to other production companies because they're like, well, we need someone that can shoot and cut something in a weekend. Like, you know, I'd go off and film like a golfing event was able to like hand them an edit on Monday where otherwise they'd have to pay like three other people to do that. Um, and yeah, so, so it was pretty cool. Like I was sort of working at JB full-time, I think, or part-time. And then, you know, outside of that, I was freelancing. And I was also um, teaching at the Gordon for a stint there as well. Yeah, where you were my teacher. Um, that's right. Nathan Novak, the senior class. Yeah, yeah. He's the best man. Every time, every time I hear "My God" on a on a movie, I think of you guys. 
<laughs> oh man, I still do that in when I watch movies now, and like there's always that scene where it's like, my god, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, no, yeah, it's like a very crash zoom. My god. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome. So, so yeah, you, you're kind of between all those little bits and pieces, you were just hustling real hard to get this thing off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Tell yeah, us about, a, it, Oh yeah. I was going to say like, it's a bit of a buzzword, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I actually really hustled like hard. There was weeks where I would, Hey bud. Oh, that looks sick. Showing some Lego. Oh, what's, what's the Lego? I've just made a land speed off. Sick. Nice Perfect, job. Buddy. Hey. No. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe after. When we maybe finish recording, we could do it. Can, he... Yeah, when we finish recoding. Yeah. <laughs> With Rory. G'day. All right. This is Jordan. Hey, Jordan. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have seen him since he's like a baby. Correct. All right, hop you, out, buddy. You were, you were a tiny baby when I last saw hey. you, little dude. No, since you were a baby. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we went a time um, machine and we saw Rory when he was a baby. Remember that? Yeah. It was crazy. Um, that's that's fun. So we've had two children come through now. We'll get two more and we'll get the whole set. Yeah, yeah, which will probably happen. <laughs> so, um, well, sorry, where were we? Uh, I want I want to kind of know how you got from doing this kind of hustle, hard hustle to, to writing Rusted On and then the process it took to, to create that TV show. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, it, it started growing and I was kind of getting sick of doing everything, like shooting, editing, and, you know, you just want someone to um, do stuff with, um, mainly the shooting. Like I just got really over the shooting. But it's not like I was out there searching. Um, so anyway, I got this really sick gig with jeep um they were doing a golf pro-am where they'd send me and another dude uh to like a, a resort for four days and we'd film golfers being golfers for from like eight till two eight a.m till two we're just fanging around in golf buggies filming them and then after that it was just like we would just stay in these mad resorts we'd play poker with the golf pros and you know everything was food drinks everything was sort of done um and it was one in every state so there was one in New South Wales and the guy that would do it with me from the production company couldn't go. And it was like, oh, do you, do you know anyone that would want to come? And because I was working at JB at the time with Nat, um, I remember Stu, who's my business partner now, he'd always be sort of like waltzing in like with that Stu swagger and like high five and everyone's like, yeah, sup, you? Um, anyway, like he was doing some really sick camera stuff, like um, lots of time-lapse stuff. And whenever he'd come in, we'd just sort of talk shit about it. Anyway, I was like, hey, man, do you want to, um, you know, do you want to come away for like four days? You get paid like two grand and, and um, just film golfers. And he was like, fuck yeah. So we we went on this golf trip together and he, he was like, he had all this like mad time-lapse gear and he was just so into the camera side of it. Um, and I was, we just had a couple of beers one night and I was like, fuck, man, I don't know how you do that camera shit. Like, I'm so over it. He's like, Really? I hate the editing, man. If I could just do this. And I was like, we should just start a business and you shoot it and I'll like direct it. And, and then like, I'll edit it. And he was like, all right, yeah, let's do it. So, and I said, well, let's, if you want to do it, like go on. Cause he just finished work on the roads with Dan. It's funny how it's all like kind of interconnected. It is. He, yeah. was, he was working on the roads with Dan and, um, <laughs> Macker and, and those guys. 
Um, so I was like, go, I've got the Gordon. The Gordon pays really well when you're a sessional teacher, like 60 bucks an hour or something. So you work a couple of days and it's great. So I said, I've got that to keep me going. Like go and get, if you can get like a part-time job so that the robot army money we make, we can just keep putting back into the company and like buying gear and shit like that. Um, you know, I feel like it's inevitable that it would just be awesome straight away. Um, and, he, and he, you know, we didn't think too much about it. And he rang me like a couple of days after he's back. He's like, hey, I've got a job at a snowboard shop. Let's like start this business thing. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, so like we sat down in his kitchen and his dad's like an accountant. And we're talking about shares and stuff. And I was like, oh, look, you know, I've already got a bit of a rep. I don't know. If, <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, does that equate to anything? Like, you know, I've, you know, I've got sound. I've done some work for Soundwave, man. Like, you know, that could be like a repeat. I'm bringing a lot of like cred to this. It should be and- a 70-30 split for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's what, it's like I'm bringing a lot of assets. And his dad very politely is like, oh, pretty much that. He didn't say this, but like it looks like that. That actually legally means jack shit. And Stu's actually bringing a secretary and a financial asset in me working on your finances. So let's call it even. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. That that works out. <laughs> but like, <laughs> so, so we, we both had like about seven grand's worth all up of equipment. Like just, we had a DSLR. He had a 550D, I had a 7D. I had those like soft boxes. You remember like, those yeah. lights? He had like the time lapse stuff. So I think we had like $7,001 shares each or something. Um, and then, yeah, Robot Army was, was born. So we started out in a, and sorry, this is, this all kind of leads up to the, um, so we're, yeah, I might skip forward a bit. So anyway, like, uh, I lost my job at the Gordon and I was like, okay, well I can go get another part-time job or, or I can go full-time with Robot Army. We talked about it. So I went full-time on a really small wage within two months, Stu was full-time as well, just because we had so much work on at a little office in Marable street. And then we kind of just did that same thing and just grew it and grew it for, for a few years until we had like, you know, a few guys working with us for us. I say with, cause I don't like a dick saying for us. Um, you know, we've done heaps of corporate stuff. Like we, we actually had quite a good name. And then I, I was like, okay, I really, really want to, want to write something and shoot it. Like this is the whole reason we're doing it. So I wrote this script. It's about 45 pages, um, of, of working in retail. Um, and most of that is the pilot episode of Rusted On. So we, I said to Stu, let's just, can we just go shoot a few scenes just to see if I can indeed direct and if you can shoot it and if, if we can pull it off and if, if we can't, then we know, but if we can, you know, it'd be great. So I got on star now and, and we, we cast the cast for free. Like we just said, we're making this thing for free. They cut, they drive down, um, which is crazy because they're so good. Um, and then we went and shot like five scenes in a day at Better Electrical. Um, I said, you know, can we shoot some stuff in here? They'll close on Sundays. So I'm like, yep, great, meant to be. Um, we cut those five episodes up and I was like, okay, if I just shoot like a beginning and an end, we'd have like a 22-minute pilot, <laughs> which is so not how you write a fucking pilot or an episode of anything. But... It, so we so we went back for another day, and we, we then we had rusted on the the pilot, and we we so th- that that was kind of it. It was just a matter of like, okay, well we've got the gear, 
I've wanted to do it for ages, wrote up a script and we just kind of like cobbled it, cobbled it together, I guess, like we would anything else. Um, but I guess the difference between that and anything else was the online success that we got, which, which was huge. Um, so like we cut it up and I started releasing a few memes because I guess from the band, like coming from the band and, and small businesses and stuff, I really didn't want it when we released it or short clips, I really didn't want it to be another, please go check out my band or go fucking vote for my kid in the bonds modeling baby competition or like, you know, sign this petition or like fucking, uh, only two people will have the guts to share this fucking racist statement that's buried in patriotism. Um, I just knew that people just scroll straight past that. Whenever you like, please, please invest in my hobby. Basically, yeah. People are people are like, oh, I might get around to that. Your mum will definitely comment. <laughs> Anyone else? So, um, I kind of made the decision to be like, all right, I'm going to make memes, and it's not even going to say it's a show. It's not going to ask people to do anything. All I want them to do is is relate to it and go, oh, that's funny. I'm going to share it and hopefully tag someone going, oh, you're always late to work, fucker. This is for you. And it and it happened. So we did um we did a bunch and we eventually released the pilot. And I think the Facebook page had like 2,000 likes. The YouTube channel had some subscribers. And I was like, all right, you know, if we could get 10,000 views on this total, it, it we'll deem it a success and we'll, we'll go, we'll, you know, it's just, that was, that was a cool experiment. And we got 10,000 in the first night and then it... Wow. Yeah. On on YouTube and people... And I was so nervous, man. Like, because there was comments... Like, I when we hit upload and it, it was released, the first comment said, this better live up to my already high expectations. And I was like, oh, man. And YouTube is, is a cesspool for comments and people being assholes and stuff like that. So I was visibly really nervous especially because you know you you've spent spent like a year resources people's time people's like people trusting me you know so i felt a lot of weight on my shoulders and then um and then it did really well and then there was one meme though in particular which is which is the most popular today it's where um it's the bite the curb reference to american history x accounting worker tells a shitty customer to bite the curb bitch just stomp her ass in the Grand American History X style. That when that came out, because we were sponsoring him, the sponsoring actually didn't work because there was too much text. And the out Facebook had just changed the algorithm. And I was like, oh fuck, okay. This one's gonna get no views. Great. Forgot forgot that I posted it. And then like I was at the gym or something and I just checked my phone. It had all these notifications. And I was like, the clip had blown up. There was like Every time I would refresh, there was like 10 new comments. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, how did this happen? And then Uni Lad and Lad Bible and like Comedy Central all, all emailing us going, hey, we want to re-upload this clip. How can we do that? Um, and I said, yep, just tag, tag the show, tag. So you know what? This might have been... No, I think this was after we'd shot the season. It's a little bit blurry, but there was one meme in particular that just made everything blow up. Uh, it might not have been that particular meme. It might have been the oh, it might have been the camera lady one. The the um, he tells the customer they're all about telling customers to fuck off. They're the ones that blow up. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. But There's anyway, a running theme there. Yeah, it's a little hazy. So we went back and self-financed like a full season one. Um, we were like, we just said to the actors, hey, we've got about 100,000 views on YouTube. It feels like a real thing. We don't have money, but we're not making money either. So like if, if you guys want to get involved, let's um let's just fucking do it. And they were like, yeah. Like it was, it was a real kind of like, yeah, let's stick it to the man. I did send the pilot to... to um the head of comedy at ABC. I tracked him down on LinkedIn and I was like, Hey man, I made this pilot. And he said, yeah, I'll take a look. And he was so me being me, like, you know, me versus the world. I just assumed that no one would give us funding. I never even tried to get it, but he was like, Hey, I really like it. I love it. It's really funny. It's just not right for the ABC at this time. And I was like, fuck this man. I'll just do it myself. You know, like (laughs) he got quite offended, which is ridiculous. But, and actually, I got to know him quite well, actually. And I had breakfast, breakfast with him in Sydney years later, about a year later. And he was like, hey, so how many views online did that, that pilot get? And I told him, he was like, oh, I really fucked up there, didn't I? And I was like, that's all the validation I needed. Yeah, um, that's it. I was right. You were wrong, buddy. Yeah. I should, I should be so, running ABC comedy. Yeah. So when we, um, so we did it in six days. Um you know, a couple of those, like one was an 18 hour day. We, we got there at 6am. We left at midnight. Um, all the stock was like, we went to cash converters and said, Hey, we're making a show. Can we take the stock and then return it? And they were like, yeah, if you return it, we'll give you half the money back. Um, we had people like sign shelving companies, give us shelves. We could borrow for it. So the store was completely borrowed. We all set it up ourselves just on like, just throwing shit wherever. Um, and then, you know, I cut it on my little laptop in Aries Inlet while, while we were, you know, at nighttime because we still had proper edits to do on the day. And then when we when we actually launched, it just went crazy. Like each episode trended on YouTube, for the, like we were doing one a week. Like there was such hype before each one. You know, we we're getting millions and millions of views um, on Facebook on the memes and they were getting reshared. So I think like total views on the on the short clips was like, it's, you know, between 250 and 300 million views. Wow. Holy shit. And yeah. And for a long form show on YouTube, like that's, that's pretty good. Like we were, you know, there's a lot of short form or sketchy stuff on YouTube that does quite well. But for us, I think we'd never had an episode crack a million, but we had like, I think the pilot first ever got about 775,000 each. Wow. Um, for a 22 minute show on YouTube with no, we had, we had no marketing. We spent no money on it few sponsored posts and our facebook page grew to like 360 something thousand um it was just like it was really cool man it was great it's, but it was it's a long way yeah. from when you know we would put up a music video and like refresh it the next day and it's like oh it's had like a thousand views holy shit we've made it yeah. you know like that's so funny it's, that it's it's still the same but just with like heaps more pressure and like you know well it's completely broken like there are negatives to it all like it's completely broken my measuring stick now so we put another project out and gets like a hundred thousand views we're like well is that like we'll be the office going is that good like are are we we genuinely don't know where the the measuring thing is now because it could be like five thousand in a couple of hours and we're like well i guess that's good like i guess like once you've had that once you've had that rush of like refreshing it just swiping down your thumb and like twenty thousand extra views are there another 20, another 20, and it's clocking up to like millions. 
yeah, it's, it's hard to get excited about, you know, normal numbers on any other project we do. I'm like, fuck, it's my first thing. Like, I kind of like peaked too early on the <laughs> on the social media front. <laughs> but it's so cool how you use that kind of memeable format. Because I remember when you were doing those, when it had like the kind of bo- top text and bottom text, and it was like a square little yeah. video that was so shareable and really short. Like, it's a really clever way yeah. to kind of sell the show. Like, ingenious. Yeah, it worked. It worked. And it killed Stu. Because he's like all about the nice shot. And he's like, wait, were you putting it in a fucking 4-3 with disgusting text? And I'm like, man, the, the gross the text, the more it's shared. Like the shitter it looks, the less it looks like we're trying to sell something. And it worked. Oh, man, but, um, that's, that's really clever. But yeah, I know what you mean. I also know how problematic that is when you got like texted like black bars on a square. And you're like, oh, no, like you've gone all this yeah. effort to make it look great. It feels gross. So yeah, so so at this point, so you've got no marketing budget. You're just doing these kind of memes. You're putting it out on YouTube, but everyone knows that Rostodon's on Netflix, and it was on Seven Mate as well. Is that right? Yeah. So so it's Netflix, and then season two was commissioned by Seven Mate. It's actually the first Australian comedy that they had ever commissioned. Oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So how did they? How did like TV people and Netflix people get involved? Can you can you explain that to the listeners? Because I'm sure that you've mentioned yeah. it before that you would you say that you were like people think you're the mayor of Netflix now because you've got a show on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Pete, it's funny, man. People just assume so much. Like even people like people I haven't seen for a while just tell me that they were like, oh, I just thought you'd be like real different and super arrogant now. I'm like, I don't understand. Just, I get, yeah, it's just funny how people's head works. Anyway, so that's probably... <laughs> so to explain that, it's probably like I kind of need to detour to another project because um, we did... So like I said, once Rostodon was kind of done and killing it on YouTube, that was sort of as far as I thought we could take it um, and I was really happy with it. And I was like, oh, yeah, it'd be rad to do another season two one day. But in the meantime, we did a, a short film but I, I wrote it in a way that it could be a pilot to, to get picked up called um, Jeremy the Dud. And it was a show that had a completely disabled cast by one person. Um, and it's just basically a flip of like, um, if, if everybody in the world had a disability and the people that didn't were shit on. I guess highlighting how, you know, people in our society are, are treated less than uh yeah just sort of making some statements around that so we're commissioned by a company called gen U, um and they were like well look we want to do something really different something really cool and i was i was fresh off rostered on i was like well what if we did a show that had completely inclusive cast and we really turned stuff on its head got people thinking so they funded it which was really cool a few weeks before that i got a, a random um uh facebook message from a dude um named nick nick bosher who you might better know as Trent from Punchy and Adrian from Bondi Hipsters and, and Beach Daz Whale and stuff like that. So he um he just sent me a message saying, hey, love, love the show. It's really good. And I, that was at a time where like I was still looking at the... Because I, I do get a lot of those messages quite frequently now. But back, there was a time where I would look at every single person, to, I guess, to judge the caliber of person that was liking my work. Because <laughs> it was like some toothless meth head. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm from demographic. 
Anyway, and I looked at I, I looked at, I looked at this dude's um looked at this dude's profile and he had all these pictures of like soulmates, which is the show. And I'm like, fuck this this guy's obsessed with that Trent from Punchy guy. And looked at his photo, I'm like, oh shit, it is Trent from Punchy. Yeah. And I got really like stoked. And I messaged him straight back. I'm like, you fucking broke my heart when I found out Trent wasn't real, man. And he was like, dude. People have messaged me saying, I've got a tattoo of Trent on my ass. I'm pretty annoyed that he's not real. Um, <clears throat> so, he and I, and I just said, look, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, we've had, you know, we're really happy that it's gone. But, like, we don't really have any, I don't know anyone in the industry. I don't know shit about shit. Like, I'd love to just chat to you and pick your brain. He's like, yep. So, we, we started chatting a fair bit. Like, he was just... He was great because he'd had so much success online. Um, but we became like really close mates like quite quickly. Um, so when we were doing this Jeremy the Dud thing, I said, hey, do you want to act in this? And he was like, yep. So we did that and it was really fun. We also had Jackson O'Doherty in it as well. I don't know if you know Jackson O'Doherty. He's like the prankster guy that um, does lots of pranks. He's huge on YouTube yeah, and you, Facebook. You've mentioned him before, but sadly my, my knowledge of him is limited. Um, Getting old. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah well, not... Did you see all that silly salmon stuff that went down where people were going to jumping off bridges and doing this thing? Anyway. No. He's kind of like a, an Aussie jackass, I guess. Okay. So he was in it. Um, but so when we, we we did the same strategy for Jeremy the Dad as we did for Rostodon, but the, this time we had the power of Rostodon's following behind us so we could post it on there. From the makers of Rossadon comes a new, you know, pilot. And when we released Jeremy the Dud, it exploded again. I think it got about 100,000 views in the first night, but <clears throat> it exploded in the industry land instead of just the public land. So, like, within an hour, same same guy, ABC guy, rang Nick. And he was like, what is this show? How do I, how do I get my hands on it? <clears throat> we had offers from all over the world saying like what what is this because inclusive inclusive filmmaking is is actually well it's actually not hard to do you just include them which is but for for it was a real head scratcher for a lot of production companies out there like how can we get more people with disabilities into content and then here's the show that is completely made up of people with disabilities but it's also done well and it's still funny it's not like you have to make exceptions um so so that was kind of a whirl when he was like, you know, there's a lot of interest in London. I've got an agent in London. Why don't we go to London and we'll um we'll shop it there? And I'd never really traveled and probably my travel anxiety and anxiety in general is another story. But I was like, yeah, okay, cool. So I went to London um, and it was crazy. All of a sudden I found myself in rooms with all these huge production companies. Like we met with Baby Cow who produced Mighty Boosh and is owned by Steve Coogan and produces all Steve Coogan's work. And then we met with the producers of The Inbetweeners and the producer, like Edgar Wright's production company. And we didn't meet Edgar Wright, but, you know, um, Simon Pegg and, and Nick Frost's production company, Stolen, like they weren't wow. there, but we're meeting with all this stuff. And I'm, in my head, I'm like, I've made it, which is a, which is a funny little, I don't know if we'll get to it, but it, it's that that kind of mentality has kind of shaped my mantra for now. And it's, it's actually the polar opposite, which if you want to stick a bookmark in, we can come back to it later. But anyway. Let's do, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big realization I had, especially around COVID times. 
Anyway, um, so, man, I'm in London, loving it. Um, so we ended up, we ended up actually going into development with Baby Cow, um, which was amazing. So came back, but while I was over there, I, no, for some reason I booked it. I booked a trip to LA as well because I'm buzzing. I'm like, yep, yeah, I made it. I've got a, you know, I've got a, I've got a strike while the iron's hot. I'm gonna book it, and I'm like, Stu, I'm gonna book a trip to LA. And he's like, can you just go there and like book meetings? I'm like, well, yeah, I just book meetings here. Like how hard can it be? So went to London, came back. I'm on like fucking, I'm up here. And this is all before season two of Rostered On. Um, so anyway, I'm like, London was great. We're in development with Baby Cow now. Um, let's, all right, am I going to look into this LA thing? Am I going to be there in a couple of weeks? Uh, call, I ring WME, which is like one of the biggest agencies. I'm like, yo, hey, I'm just this, you know, I've got this show in a few minutes. I just want to like uh, book a time to come in while I'm in LA. And they're like, oh, sorry, you know, we we only see people via referral. And I was like, okay, uh, rude. <laughs> call everybody and it's it's just brick walls. I'm like, oh, shit. So anyway, I'm like, well, I'm still going to go because that's, that's the kind of headspace I was in. Like, I, you fake it till you make it. So it was in the hotel... I had to do a, I was doing press for Jeremy the Dud in Sydney. Like we were on a morning show, me and Chloe Hayden, who plays um, Heidi. And then I was flying from Sydney to, to LA for three weeks. Um, not a meeting booked under the sun. And just so happened that on that last day before I left that I was talking to my agent now amanda at um curtis brown who's also nick's agent and she took me on and i'm like oh good is there any chance he can like get and she she was like really cool and she's like yeah i think you know i don't usually take on people this green but you know i've got a good vibe about you fake it till you make it um <laughs> but then and then i was like oh i'm like oh that's cool like yeah I'm, I'm gonna go to la so like can you can you set up some meetings there for me too she goes, yeah, when are you going? I'm like, oh, like in about 12 hours. <laughs> She's like, oh, shit. Okay. So anyway, she was really the catalyst for a lot of it. So Nick was there too. So, and again, I apologize if this is kind of like boring or like too much, too much info. Not at all. It. No. So, so then I get to LA um, and again, never, never been in the States. And, I, and because London is so grand and I, I fell in love with London, I got to admit, I was a little bit underwhelmed by LA. <laughs> I thought it was going to be what everybody thinks LA is going to be like. And I get there and I'm like, whoa, this is kind of like a massive Geelong. Just really spread out. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good, man. Um, so, and then what happened? So did, did, did your agent, Amanda, like sort you out? And did you end up, who did you meet? Yeah, what did yeah. you do while you were in LA? So I met with um I met with a stack of companies. So I met with Lionsgate. I met with ended up did I met with WME. Um, you know, Principato Young or Jones or whatever I think they're called. Um, uh, but I met a lot of really good people there too. Um, which was just and just weird connections. So like you know, um, the prince got married to the, this princess. Uh, the, 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 the suits the, one, Megan Markle, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So I met her ex-husband who was like Nick's manager at the time. Whoa. And, and he was like, he was really cool, but just like kind of 
when you're like one degree separated from royalty, it's just it's just a weird world. So had a heap of really good meetings. Um, met with uh, Lionsgate was really good. Like a lot of streaming services. Met with Hulu, and again, and then it's on this bookmark. Everyone's like, "Yep, hey, love your stuff. Like, let's do something. Let's work together." And again, I'm like, "All right, this is this is actually easy now." Um, and I'd heard of the Hollywood Yes Man meeting, but like, different vibe when you're there because you're like this kid from Geelong, and oh. Hello. Oh my goodness. Are you serious? Hi. Thank you. What's I'm that? What have you got there? Waffles and ice cream. Wow. Do you guys remember Rory? Oh yeah, so he here's Eva. I do. I thought he Yes. I had the exact same thing. Did you? This is delicious. Yeah. Thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, have completed all four children now for the show. This is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. They've all come in in one time, which is great. They can't hear me though, can they? They've brought me waffles. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can you say hi to Rory? Hello. Hello, Rory. <laughs> what, what did they say? They like the room. Yeah, the, the room. I hope, hope the room looks great. Yeah, his great, room's guys. epic. I've been doing a lot of work on it in COVID times. All right, look, yeah. all right, look out. I'm going to get back to it. Jordan, get out of the camera. Jordan, go. That's amazing. Oh, we've, com we've completed it. Now we're going to do is finish these bookmarks and we can complete the episode. Oh, they're yeah, getting right. dragged away. That's, That's amazing. So, so you've um, met all these people. You've made it. You're feeling good. You're eating a waffle now. Yeah, man. This is epic. Good times. So, um, and then, so, you, so tell me more about like so, this yeah. feeling. So Nick was there too. Sorry. Hang on. Let's shut the door. Jordan, enough now. <laughs> <Dad> voice. <laughs> yeah, get, get. Oh. Thank you, buddy. Um, so anyway, had, we you had got, a Netflix he's, meeting. He's just throwing up some gang signs in the background. That's great. Yeah. So we had a, a Netflix meeting uh, The Nick and Amanda had organized. So Nick was there too. Um, and then we were there about Jeremy the Dud at Netflix. And they were like, and Netflix is crazy. Like there's big gates. You got a show idea to get through. And in the foyer, they have like these projected stuff on the walls that makes you feel like you're in Stranger Things. And then it'll change and you're in like one of the rooms from The Crown. And everyone's just normal business there. And I'm like just peeking, like trying to film stuff. It's kind of like Graceland for any filmmaker. And then the dude comes down, really chill. We go up and there's like a whole buffet spread level so we're just getting pastries on this plate and we go out sit on this balcony in um that overlooks all of hollywood um and i'm like yeah this is a little bit more how i pictured hollywood to be <laughs> it's like a bit more entourage -y, i guess yeah and then um he's like oh it's cool so tell me about yourself you know i'm like yeah well you um i wrote this thing called rusted on did really well like you know and Nick was like, he's being humble. Like it blew up the internet. It's got hundreds of millions of views. And this dude was like, oh, we, we should buy that. <laughs> like, yeah, you, sh you definitely should. He's like, all right, cool. We'll just set it up. You know, like we'll um, uh, chat to your producers and, and let's set a meeting. And then we just continued to, to talk about Jeremy the Dart and some other stuff. And then that was it. I, I rang my producers who were, oh, so by the way, like 
uh, along the journey as well, um, my we, the producers that produced Kath and Kim came on board as co-producers and co-owners of the show, which was which was a whole other side of things. But so I called them when I got back to the the Airbnb. And they were like, oh, I wonder how much. I'm like, much? Like, let's just give it to them. It's Netflix. Like, I want my stuff on Netflix. And they were like very politely like, okay, cool. So, like, if you could do us a favor, don't talk to that dude about Rusted On for the rest of the time that you're there. Because if you commit to something ludicrous like giving it to them for free, they're probably, like, it's going to be hard for us to come back from that. And I was like, all right, deal. So, it was was really hard because we actually went to a Lakers game. Whoa. With him. Yeah, like, and he was there, and I was, I was like, so what else is going on? All I wanted to do was, like, how much for us at all? Like, how many people do you reckon will watch it? Like, um, so anyway, got home, did the back and forth. But that, that's kind of the story of, of that. So it was a pretty successful trip. Um, made a lot of really good friends there. Like, um, just met a, lot of, met a lot of Aussie filmmakers that just happened to be there at, at this one time that I still stay in touch with now and people that are connected here that didn't know that they were in the same room in LA and stuff. Like it's, it's just one of those weird, generally when, when I'm onto a good thing, there's always weird connections like that. Like I said, with the Dan and Stu stuff or like, you know, like it's, yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of the Netflix thing of how we got Netflix and then it came out on Netflix and, and then that was, it was really good because it kind of, you know, even though we had all the views, like YouTube is YouTube, it's online. But when you get Netflix, I think like people sort of take notice. Like, yeah, it's a bit more serious. They've got like an agenda that like, you know, something came out that week, like a new comedy special or a sexy secret show or something. And they'll just like hammer it yeah. until everyone's watched it or everyone at least knows it exists, you know, like, mm. and I think that's the great thing about YouTube, it's endless. You know, you could find anything there. Whereas with Netflix, it's like a curated thing that how many, how many people have like use or watch Netflix now in the world? Like there must be like, you know, a good, there's millions, like a good percentage of people that have access to a Netflix account, which is wild. Yeah, so, it's, it's still the biggest streaming platform. I mean, paid streaming platform. YouTube is obviously bigger, but yeah. That's unbelievable. So what was the what was the kind of moment when it ended up on Netflix? Like, were you told when it was going to be on? Like, did you all like sit in and watch it? Like, what was the what was the mm. vibe around the house when it was like live on Netflix? Um, it's really funny. Both and this has happened both both times the Netflix launch. It comes out at midnight, so um, both times I've just sort of and Maddie's awesome. She's like, "Oh look, I love you." I can go to bed now or I can fall asleep while we wait. I'm like, no, no, go to bed. It's all good. Um, but so both times I've just sort of sat there with a whiskey and then at 1201, I'll just, I'll turn it on and there it is. And I'll, I'll like watch a couple of episodes or, and I'll just like flick through it. And it's been real. they're just really cool moments that I've just spent alone. Like just sort of me, you know, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of that night that you were on, you were going to be on channel V for that confession <laughs> clip. <laughs> you know, you like you wait for it, and then it's out, and you kind of you kind of go to bed. Yeah, there's yeah. like a bit of sweetness to it that it's like, oh, I did it, and it's done. But then it's done, and then you just gotta like yeah. start the hustle all over again. You know, like it, it doesn't yeah. end there. It's like it's just like, oh fuck, I gotta do more work now, and like yeah. do better than the last time. You know, like you've cursed yourself mm. now. Yeah, pretty much. You get you never celebrate your wins as much as you. Sorry, look at my mouth. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> you never celebrate your wins as much as like you dwell on your losses. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that bookmark you were talking about before with this feeling of you've made it because I feel like you've had to tackle a lot of stuff in these last 10 years, say, in your filmmaking journey of like, I'm sure there was yeah. a lot of imposter syndrome stuff. I'm sure there was a lot of like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing something people are going to like? But then you've pushed through all of yeah. those kind of hurdles, mental hurdles. And tell me about this thing you were talking about. Yeah, this feeling of I've made it or this bookmark. What's this thought process you've got going on in your yeah. mind here? So that, I'm going to swallow first. <laughs> you can't not eat waffles and ice cream if it's just sitting in front of you. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, so, yo, sorry. Hey. No. Oh, there's, there's more. Oh, I thought. <laughs> um. So that feeling is really, really addictive. So that kind of like that validation and it's kind of, you get it from like uh, comments on your work, the messages that people send of like, oh, I watched your show. I love your show. Or like, you know, some people have even said like, hey, I watched your show. I cried and I quit my job the next day. Like I'm going to, I'm going to fucking be a painter or whatever. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I meant. No, <laughs> no. I'm like, it's kind of hard. Um, so then this validation from an industry that you want to be in too. And I guess, you know, a lot of people, when they set out to be filmmakers, they always picture that red carpet moment or the interviews with people or like being in the, in the, in the room at agencies and you've got the, the agents in suits and all that sort of stuff. And it's really cool. And you're like, oh, I'm in the world. But the, the tr and the trouble is that a lot of people and a lot of artists, it comes about that validation as the actual work. So, and the catch 22 is when you're actually in that position, you're not writing, you're not working, you're not shooting, you're actually doing fuck all. And it's the actual opposite of what you're actually getting validation for doing nothing. You're getting for the previous work, but that, those meetings, that kind of stuff, it doesn't get your next film written. And what's funny is like, the, the stuff that actually gets the validation is when you've like, when you're rubbing your forehead, looking at your screen going, that's the shittest line or like whatever, like that unglamorous work is actually what gets you further. Not people patting you on the back going, you know, that's great because in Hollywood, everyone, you, you, I'm sure you've heard the saying, you never have a bad meeting in Hollywood mm. because all day, every day, they're just thinking, that's great, man. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Just send us some stuff. And then, and knowing you've got those contacts there is fucking rad. And it's all part of it. But the real work and what separates, I guess, you know, the people that do stuff and the people that don't is that you can, I know actors and I know creators that are always trying to get back to LA, trying to get back in the room as soon as they've got like a pitch doc or a brief back in the room so they can get that, they can get the photos on Instagram, they can check in at the airport, they can, you know, they can get that buzz. But that buzz is, is false, you know, they got to kind of like shift your focus on like, all right, I've got to finish this script. I'm going to shoot a proof of concept. I've got to, and then, you know, get that cool little two week in Hollywood, maybe once a year, twice a year, once every couple of years, just leave it as that. Like, don't go chasing that buzz. Cause it's not like, cause after a while, you're just going to be circling around the same rooms. No, no new work, all that sort of stuff. So it's, there's a pretty big um, lesson. Cause I went to London another two times and it was, it was rad and, and it was all worth it. But like, you know, that doesn't get me further. 
you know, it's, it's real. like I met Warwick Davis at a meeting with like Mackenzie Crook, like, you know, sitting with Gareth from the office and, and talking to him about the office was like absolute highlight of my career. But he, he goes away and he beats Mackenzie Crook. He goes away and like, he, he goes to work on Pirates of the Caribbean. I go back to writing my scripts. Like, it's not like, not like because I had a conversation with him, I'm now on the set of Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, I've still got so much more work to do. Even though you feel like when you're with these people, you have, you're in, the, like, you're in their league. You're not. Like, you've got to, so instead of chasing that feeling, you've got to actually do the work to, to get to that level. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, man. I think that's such an interesting thing because you were saying that before, like, uh, <clears throat> listeners of the show... I don't know if I mentioned it before, but when I pitched that movie for that thing, for that monster fest or whatever, talking to you about the idea and the kind of machinations at the start are so interesting because it's like, oh, it could be like this and this can happen and this can be the inciting incident that happens or whatever. But it's like, you like you were saying, you get that validation from like you and me jamming out that idea and then you're yeah. like, right, I just won't write that now. Like it's done. Or like I pitched the idea and that's enough. But it's like, that's just the beginning of the work. Like yeah. it's, you know, like having, a, everyone's got a great idea. That, like everyone could write a great movie, but no one's going to write yeah. a movie, you know? Like no one's going to sit on final draft and like actually write out 120 pages of yeah. good dialogue and all the mechanics work of all the different like characters interacting with each other and all the plot points. You know, all of those things, that that's that's the real work. It's trying to figure out how all that comes together, I think. And I think that you're right. I think you get that sense of joy or complete completing something, even though you haven't really done it. You're like, yeah, but I've done this. I'm going to give myself a break now. And it's like, yeah, mm. you haven't really done anything, though. <laughs> Any little bit of, bit of validation. Um, yeah, and you can tell, like, if you watch any... There's not a lot of docos about what people... Like, let's look at Taika. You know, he's not hopping from room to room to room. Like, he's he comes off Thor and he's released, what, another... Well, what what was Jojo Rabbit? Like, that was did that win an Academy Award? I think so, yeah. A, a, a adapted screenplay, maybe? Yeah, like, he's just, like... And he just went and did that. Like, it's not like he's waiting for someone to go, like, oh, here's the next fucking, you know, pats on the back. Like, he... All these people work their asses off that's why they're so good it's not like you you work until you get in the room and then it's just kind of like you get rushed around in hollywood it's like and i would think like the more the more successful you get the harder you'd have to work i i think but but that was, personally for me that was a pretty big lesson in like feeling like you've made it versus doing the actual work that will be the thing that you make it for a very different, very, very different, you know. The stuff that'll get me further is sitting in my tracksuit pants, staring at a screen, talking to people like, you know, going script, 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 you know. Or, you know, with Robot Army, it's like, okay, we got a good idea for a pilot. Ugh, okay, I guess we're going to self-produce it. going to cost money. We're going to put stuff in. Like, you've always, got, there's always going to be some sort of sacrifice, I think. Or you've got to, there's got to be stakes, otherwise you're not, you're not, uh, you're not pushing hard enough. I don't think you don't have your heart sights set high enough. If there's, if it's easy and there's no risk, maybe aim a little higher. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice for anyone listening in whatever field you're choosing. You know, because you're totally right, and you know when you're onto something, because your body either you wants do. to like reject doing it because you're just like, oh, it's good, but I can't be bothered doing it. 
or you try and convince yourself to not do it or you'll you know yeah you'll make something that's like well what was the point of doing that because it you didn't push you to any limits you know like dude even with this show oh, yeah. like recording this podcast it's like oh man like it's fun and it's fun to talk to you but then i've still got to like edit it and put it online and do all the social stuff it's like is it worth it it's like well it is but like it, it's still <laughs> you have to like make that push yourself you have to force yourself to do that kind of stuff absolutely man and it's always worth it like you know and it's like people always think that the, the thing that they're working on has to be their their fucking avatar i guess to put it in or titanic but like you know what's not to say that even if this pans out this podcast itself for you pans out not to be not worth it in that thing like it might have given you the training for your next podcast that blows up and be like joe rogan like you know what i mean like people are always i don't know i, I get pretty preachy about this stuff i just think it's it's easy like you just set your sights and you you work hard at doing it there's no trick so to speak that's wonderful and speaking of podcasting you do a podcast yourself as well tell us a little bit about that i started a podcast last year it was called the unconventional filmmaker and it's basically all the stuff i've just been talking about it's like the the difference between like you you're doing something and saying you're going to do something is just kind of your phrasing. Like if you say, I'm going to make a film, you're always, it's always going to be on the horizon. But if you just change that and tweak and go, I'm going to make a film or I'm making a film, then it's kind of becomes about the logistics. Well, if I'm making a film, I guess I better fucking call this guy about a location or I guess I better talk to blah, blah, blah about a camera. And you just start organically doing it. But I, I've been really fortunate to meet some amazing people um, throughout just my short time in the industry in the last couple of years um and they're pretty like they've always got great advice but the thing i found is they're kind of just like uh us you know it's not like like i spoke to my first guest was debbie liebling who was the producer of um south park and she talks about um matt and trey's journey and it's it's pretty similar to most other creatives i know like you know, she talks about, you know, I, I also did, um, had Laura Waters on who produces all the Chris Lilly stuff. And she talks about, you know, all these people that passed on Summer High Tie and um, all these huge shows, they just go through the exact same process as everyone else. Like they've all had knockbacks too. It's not like, yeah, it's just something you don't hear a lot about in the industry. You tend to see a lot of people's successes which of course you're not going to go, oh, I just got rejected for another funding application. But it is very easy for people to, um, and I never have been, I'll just sort of add. <laughs> um, it's very easy just to look at everybody's best that they present on social media and, and whatever else and just assume that everybody has it easy except for you. So it's, it's more about people trying to identify, see themselves in the position of these people and know that they're, all they've got to do is just work hard and, and it'll, it'll come. That's but I've been really lazy with it. I did three and then uh, I've got, I've even got like, I've got one recorded with Justin Dix who, who made R2 and 3PPO, th C3PO for um the prequels, just sort of sitting there. And I've got a, a big board of people that, that are keen to do it. Um, just trying to find the time. 
Yeah, oh, for sure, man. And I know that there's a lot of other things going on, especially other projects on the go. Tell me a little bit about filming in COVID times. If you're going to like work on more TV shows, what's the industry looking like in Australia for COVID stuff? Yeah, it's pretty uh, tricky. So I know a few productions have just been running throughout. Um, social distancing is really hard. We're just sort of, I guess we're looking at it, but we're, we were pretty lucky that when COVID hit, we, um, we got some funding for, uh, to write this, um, some development funding for a show I'm creating called My Friend Anxiety. Um, and we, we got some animation work. So we've been pretty fortunate to be able to push back any filming. Um, so I guess we're trying to just wait until restrictions are a bit easier. But it's just basically like a lot of precautionary stuff. So um, there's trying to, I think the hardest part is trying to separate cross-contamination between departments. So makeup and camera and catering and unit and all that stuff sort of stay in their own zones so that I guess the idea is, and I don't know too much about it, but like, because the camera department are always swapping lenses and, and side by side. If they get it, hopefully it can be contained in the camera department. Or makeup. Makeup, get it. It's just in makeup over here. Um, but it's, look, it's pretty much the, the amount of people you can have on set's hard. But I know that productions are still running. I think if you were in production when COVID hit, you're actually sweet to keep going like you were. Um, and then there's precautions you can take around it. But Melbourne stage four is, it's nothing. You can't do anything. Stage three though, you can, you can still run fairly normally. It's just, if you wanted to do like a, you know, a crowd scene or a party scene, that would be tricky. Um, you could probably get around it with the laws, but there's also like the kind of responsibility thing. And do people really want to be in a crowd of a hundred people at the moment without a mask breathing and stuff? So it's yeah that's how it's affected us personally but for other people like that you know we're quite lucky because we run robot army as a business we've got another company milk that do branded and advertising stuff so we've always got that um that income stream but then there's people out there that are like if they're full-time freelance gaffers or stuff like that and there's no productions running like they've been smashed like it's been quite quite sad for a lot of people yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure the industry would be hurting heaps, especially as you just described then, like the idea of trying to get that many people in a room, either behind the camera or on the other side or whatever. Like, you know, there's that's a, that's yeah. a lot of people. And I can, and I, I think like the, the industry itself isn't, like there's no releases and stuff, but like what they can do isn't, like it's manageable, but like for the, it's really hit like the young indies, like the, the up and comers, because they're not going to like, if they're not getting paid, they're not going to go out, risk and it's quite a, it's a pretty hardcore fine if someone does get COVID and you, you didn't have the right precautions in place. Um, so there's a lot of risk involved even from that point of view. So that's probably where it's hit the hardest is that like there's, you know, my mantra has always been just go and fucking do it. You actually, it's really hard to do that at the moment. But what you can do is sit at that screen and finally write that script or do that thing yeah. to get yourself ready for when we get out, right? Make that animation, finally. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, can we talk a little bit about the animation as well? Or is that still... Yeah, is... fuck yeah. <laughs> so tell us tell us a little bit about that. Because so on top of the Anxiety Project and, you know, Rostodon, there is there a chance of a season three for Rostodon? I'm sure people would 
kill me if I didn't ask on this podcast? Uh, yeah, look, there's always a chance. Um, yeah, it's kind of... Rostodon's such a weird beast because, like, it's kind of... Season 2, free to wear is kind of owned by Seven. Um, we own Season 1. Netflix has the streaming rights for two years of both seasons. So, look, there's always a chance. Um, but it, it's just a, a quite a intricate beast in terms of like for someone to put in you know it generally costs about 1.1 million dollars to make a season wow someone to put that kind of money in but then they they don't have access to the streaming rights or or they don't have access to the to season two only season one because seven hold the rights there it's just it's just a weird jigsaw to put together so to actually do it would take you know a deal between netflix seven potentially another network it was going to be somewhere else all kind of playing ball on this little show that's not like it's not like we're talking about fucking Stranger Things or something. So like it's it's very low down the priority list of anybody. Plus it's in COVID times. Plus like you know it's just 2020. So like yeah. Um. So look, always a possibility. It's just kind of I guess it's parked at the moment because even if we got it, like the you know there's so many people on set for Rusted On being you know trying to mimic a, a hi-fi retailer um even if we got it up like we we couldn't possibly shoot it for i don't, I don't know how long yeah <laughs> right so instead yeah. you're working on this animation tell us about that instead because that's that's yeah, an, a lot of focus is being put there now i assume yeah well i've always wanted to do animation like i my fondest memories of childhood is watching like he-man and silver hawks and mask and it's just something that stayed with me for forever. Um, and I had this idea to make a show or a movie or something just about my time being in a band and and more about the intricacies of all these kind of bickering, that all this bickering that happens that once you've done the band and you've grown up, you're like, oh, that really didn't matter actually what kind of tree font we used or like how big the print was on the t-shirt or like if the guitarist wore blue jeans or black jeans or like, you know, like all, <laughs> all that, all that bickering and like, you know, stuff is really funny. So I sort of was like, you know, I just want to make a show about that. Um, these New South Wales, I don't know if you saw that, they, they did a pretty good job of it. Um, they, they probably took it a bit further though, where they make the guys seem like quite kooky and out there, but I thought that was really funny. Um, and so when that came out, I was like, oh, look, there's probably, I could do it and it would be fun. It would be different, but like, you know, I, I don't think there's like a real gap in the market, so to speak. And then I, I've always been a fan of like sci-fi and Edgar Wright. And I just love the way that his sort of stuff can mash the mundane with, um, with, you know, high concept sci-fi stuff, like. Cornetto gags in um in zombie movies or like you know cop cop conspiracy movies. So I then I was like oh okay cool. Well what if like this band um something about their music you know bought aliens or that kind of thing. And I, I kind of came up with this thing where shape shifting aliens have infiltrated Earth. They're out there. Only the top level you know military and government know about it. And there's something about this band's music that like makes the alien freak out and reveal its true form so that the military can move in. And it all happens by chance. So 
basically the, the fate of the world is resting on this band, but they all that is secondary to them because they're still functioning like a, a young local upcoming band. So they're even though there might be ten aliens at this gig, they're not going on stage first because like fuck that, they're better and they should be headlining. Um, you know, they're 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 going to be worried about their merch or their fan base or their demographic or, you know, they might work out that still very much, sky's the limit, it's still very much in development. Like, you know, it might be uh, some scientist comes up with this scale actually, you know, paralyzes the aliens so we can take them safely. He's like, that's not fucking metal. That's like, that's like a major key. I'm not doing that shit. Like, you know, find some other band to like, so they, they it's all about their image and, and, and egos. Like, yeah, like I said, like band always comes first. Well, it does, but in this case, like the fate of the world, band comes before the fate of the world. So it's it's really fun, and I'm, uh, so I was loving, it. and then obviously any special effects or sci-fi and film, I'm like, oh, okay, like we can do it, but it's it's money and it's it's hard, and I want it to look good. So I kind of parked it, and then, um, I was really Jack. Who I said before, my friend Jack Poole, who's an amazing artist, and she she shared an office with Robot Army for ages, and she played in a band with with Damo, obviously, um, who my first band was with, and she's just been around scene and stuff for years, and I've always wanted to to do something with her, and she's been animating for um, some pretty cool shows. So when um, it's just one morning in bed, and Maddie was like. You know, there's no shows like Diary anymore. That, and I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, there's no shows like um, in Jack's style, and that's all I want to see. Like, I feel like there's been a real downfall in the quality of animation and art since the '80s. Like, the '80s and '90s, it used to be like, you know, really slick. And even the intro sequences now, to like Thundercats or any of that, they still hold up pretty well. The episodes themselves, they had to kind of churn out. But then, kind of went all cutesy, or it's gone like real weird and gross. And and I feel like there's not a lot of like just slick animation out there aside from anime but even anime sometimes is is they'll have one picture on screen sort of like moving across and it'll be like half an hour's worth of dialogue as you watch this guy's eyes kind of creep across the screen um and then it kind of just dawned on managed like you should do breakdown with jack as a cartoon and then from that second i was like fuck it's happening like this is this is the thing so i rang jack um you know i talked to Stu. Like, do we have to do this? Like, it's, uh, it's, I just had that buzz. I had that buzz like I did with Rusted On and any other project that I've, I've, it's been out there. So, from that moment, man, we've just been working on it, basically. Jack was like, yep, yeah, I'm fucking in. That's amazing. Um, you know, and then we were sort of looking at, and we were lucky enough to have Brendan and Jake at work who can animate stuff. So, we, we can actually animate it in house. Um, so, yeah, it's just been. Pro- progressing and progressing so putting together like a proof of concept um which will be just about the origins of the band and the alien stuff and then we're gonna once that's done we'll, we'll shop it around to um to network so we've got some pretty good connections obviously netflix are only an email away now um you know i've got representation overseas so they can pitch it for me we've got a really good in with adult swim too so it's just um yeah it's, it's just really fun to do if I could make cartoons for the rest of my life and do nothing else, I'd be, I'd be stoked. 
<laughs> and if this coronavirus doesn't go away, that might have to be the reality of it, you know? Because that's like all yeah. the news you see now. It's like variety is like, oh, a new Splinter Cell animation in development at Netflix. Or, you know, I think uh, the success yeah. of Castlevania. Do you watch Castlevania on Netflix? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. It's that. I think that was it for Netflix. They're like, we've got a winner here. We can put out as many episodes as we need for a season, you know? Like, yeah. it's, oh, dude, I love that Castlevania show. I think it's sick. So, if we could just have more stuff like that, because that feels like a Saturday morning cartoon again, you know? Like, that feels like when you're talking yeah. about, like, He Man and Thundercats and, like, Voltron and that sort of, or, but even, like, the, the other ones, like, um, the, I guess, I'm using air quotes here, like, the girl, because the, in the 80s it was very much directed at, boys cartoons girls cartoons so like but even like jam and strawberry shortcake and though like they just had a, a look to them or shira like they but the time i know they're dated now but i feel like now it's a bit more like they'll be making cartoons for teenagers or adults or even tweens but like the 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 artwork for a toddler's show sort of thing mm. it doesn't it which doesn't works fit. which is yeah it it's fine, but it I don't think it should be everything. Mm. As me, I've done like one fucking animatic. I haven't even animated anything yet. I'm so opinionated about the state of the fucking industry. Like, I'm gonna fix a- animation for everyone. <laughs> what a dickhead! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great, man. It's really exciting, and I have seen some of that proof of concept stuff, and it looks great because Jack's artwork is suited perfectly to that yeah. vibe. But it's it, it's going to be really exciting to see to see where that goes. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm pumped on it, man. Too. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we move into the final lightning round or, you know, anything else you'd like to, have we, have we missed any giant holes in the Ryan Chamley history or anything or? Um, I don't think so. I think, I mean, I guess the cap off rusted on like, yeah, once we, we got Netflix about a year later, um, seven mate commissioned season two, which went to seven, which went to network TV, which was again, a big like sort of jump up. Um, and then we're back on Netflix, which is kind of best of both worlds. Um, I had a couple more kids in the mix there. (laughs) (laughs) All Um, of which have popped in on this podcast, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, but aside from that, no, I think we're, yeah. I mean, I could talk to you for hours about anything, like any small little fucking detail. (laughs) (laughs) That's always nice to hear, man. Um, (laughs) Well, well, look, these lightning round questions aren't really fast. Listeners of the show know that they can go forever. So we'll jump into this and this could still be like another hour of the show. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, um, cool. <laughs> so we'll start with number one, analog or digital? Um, in, in what? Across anything. So like, do you, you more of a, are you more of a digi boy or are you more of an analog boy? Uh, so for movies in general, like special effects wise, I'm all about practical like I want to see the fucking spaceships. I want to feel like you can move through it and stuff. So look, a bit of CG is good, but I think it, there's way too much CG now. And 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 we all know, like, yeah. So the end of Guardians of the Galaxy two, for example, like yeah. that was that was crazy. Versus, you know, a, anything out of the original trilogy of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man, and like the Mandalorian, like that was something that I really enjoyed as a show. That was cool. Oh shit, this actually just looks like they went to the desert or built a desert and built it all, and like it just none of it. I mean, I'm sure it was totally fake, and they did a great job of covering. Well, no, have you seen how they did it? No, it it was a perfect merging of both worlds. So they they had um, LED screens in the background, so they'd be projecting the desert. So so it's not green screen, 
um, it's a projected background. Oh, no shit. That's Which is kind of what they used to do back in the day. Like they would paint these backgrounds. Yeah, the matte paintings. Yeah, so it's kind of like the evolution of that. But oh. they had physical ships and stuff you could touch and hold. And But um, but yeah, I feel like that technology is is better than just, even for performance. Like, you know, you can't, there's got to be something to said for just being in a room, you're classically trained and you're like this gun actor and it's like, all right, so old mate couldn't turn up today. So here, there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex here and the love of your life's in front of you and they're about to die. And um, I don't know, you could be either in lava or underwater. We're still, we're still working through like what location you're going to be in, but <laughs> you, got, you got it. Like, you know, just do you. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, an insider, was working on the Mortal Kombat movie in Adelaide, like earlier, was it last year? Oh. End of last year, start of this year? And I was yeah. asking about Goro and I was like, is Goro in it? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I said, did you see any like prosthetic tech? And he goes, nah, it's all CG, but they had like a cardboard cutout of Goro where it was going to be. And I'm like, oh man, imagine if you're trying your hardest to act in Mortal Kombat and there's like a cutout of Goro yeah. like off camera. You have to just look at that and be terrified of a yeah, four-armed man. cardboard dude. Dude, See, even like the old horror stuff, like all those practical, um, uh, you know, like Rob's R- Rob's garbage stuff that he's been doing. You know, Rob Taylor, picture the end, Rob. Oh, he's, Video he's Hoarders. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've watched Video Hoarders on YouTube, man. It's sick. Yeah, so he did a short film, uh, uh, Night of the Garbage Monster or something like that. I apologize, Rob, if you ever hear this and I fucked up the name, I'm sorry, bro. But sorry, it, what, Rob, but we it, both have seen it and it's great. It's really good, but he he had these like practical effects that were so gross, like you know this head sort of like squishing and stuff. That all day over CG is is terrifying. Like even if it looks like some of those eighties movies look a bit shit now, but but knowing it's there and it's bloody and it's gross, even though it can move less and it's limited in its move, I think that's what might be scarier about it is is the way it kind of only moves one certain way. Yeah, it's got like these unintentional ticks versus like yeah a giant oh. rendered cg monster that's you know yeah was it was a tennis ball and a stick before that yeah <laughs> yeah exactly uh what time did you wake um, up today uh 7 30 pretty good last thing you read um i'm in the middle like finished or reading oh uh, what are you what are you reading something at the moment yeah it's um it's called it's got some it's a it's a food book. It's oh it's the carnivore's dilemma. Oh, the omnivore's dilemma, the Michael Omnivore's Pollock. dilemma. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's a that's an interesting read. Are you in the middle of reading that right now? Oh, middle of the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but that is a book on your bookshelf that's a smart looking book, man. Michael Pollan's a switched on yeah. dude. I like that very much. Uh what's your first memory? Do you have a memory that stands out from your early days? Um yeah, so I remember, remember being three, dri- <laughs> driving down Grub Road, thinking I looked like Clark Kent, the <laughs> face that I was pulling. That's so <laughs> you. That's amazing. Yeah, that's always stuck with me because I, I knew that I was three at the time, somehow. Wow, Clark Kent, little Clark Kent. Yeah. Uh, are, you a, are you a tea or a coffee guy? Uh, neither, but I... If I had to choose it, it'd be tea. But I, I might drink a cup of tea like once a month or something. <laughs> never had it. Never had a um cup of coffee in my life. 
except for that one night, one New Year's Eve where you, Dan, and Grant came over. Yeah, we played poker. New- yeah, and then I had to I had to work the next day, so I put a full twenty four hour one, and then did the I just I was like, oh, coffee keeps you awake, so I went into the break room and filled up a, a paper cup of like that much Nest Cafe, chucked some hot water in it. I'm like, I'll be super awake after this, and nearly vomited. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, what was the last thing you cooked? Um, I cooked mashed potatoes and beans last night. Sick. Um, Maddie made the stew. <laughs> just, Maddie, just Maddie, mashed Maddie did the beans. hard bit. I, I helped. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were reborn, who or what would you like to be? Oh, man. Well, first and foremost, myself. Just because... Um, Mainly because of the kids. <laughs> but if it wasn't me, um, I'd love to be somehow connected to um, the original Star Wars trilogy with with um, being around Mark Hamill in that era. So you just... You just, just being able to kick it with Luke Skywalker. So you're going to go back in... You're going to like get reborn as someone who's on the set of Star Wars in like the 70s and that's, that's the thing. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. That's my answer for now. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'd want to be another... I don't think I'd want to come back and live someone else's success. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I feel like, like that dude millions? on set can... I can kick it with Luke Skywalker, but then I can go and forge my own path from that. Maybe with... Mark, like maybe we could start a business together. Maybe I could make good sequels with Luke Skywalker. Like maybe I could change. There's so much I could change about that universe. That's so fucking good, man. That's and amazing. And I feel like I feel like if if Mark and I just connected somehow back then, we could have made it happen. You could have done it. You could have saved Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, usually ask if you're a Star Wars or a Star Trek guy. It's very obvious that you're a Star Wars guy, so we can move past that one. Yeah. Um, what inspires you? Uh, lots. Um, my family, people, um, underdogs, like the underdog story, people, people that just want to, uh, that just want more than... And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a nine to five lifestyle or anything like that, but people that that want to break out of the matrix, so to speak, and people that are doing their own thing, you know, any anything from a podcast like this to their own film to their own band to their own starting up their own fucking garden shed business, like someone that just like sees something and, and like I'm gonna take that for myself. Um, very, but very um, yeah, very inspired by. That kind of hero's journey as well that you see through films, like you know, doesn't take a lot to make me shed a tear in a film if if the right mechanics are there, like the hero sacrificing himself for the for his loved ones and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, predominantly my the people close to me inspire me a lot. Oh, that's lovely. What was the last bit of music you played? Um, it would have been at the gym yesterday. Do you, have a, do you have a pump up mix for the gym? Like, have you made like a. Yeah. What's yeah, on the it's playlist? Li- it's predominantly Papa Roach. <laughs> it's, I'm going to bring it up. It's called Lift Heavy, Run Hard. 
Did you make um, this yourself? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And it's it's all like um where are we? Lift heavy run hard. So a lot of bring me. Uh which I'm am I allowed to say that when you have like metal royalty on your on your show? A bring me cool? I think bring me a, a fucking force to be reckoned with and uh, they got yeah. some fucking banger songs, you know? I'll, I'll admit that, like, you know, I definitely liked the early stuff when they were little scene boys getting their hands tattooed for the first time. But, uh, yeah, man, that's... I that's, went and saw them the um, last time they were out. Yeah. Was went, that like at a, full, a like, arena? Like the, High Sense Arena Yeah, yeah. Yeah, stadium show. And then they, um, they've still got it, though. Like, they played a medley of... Um, of like five songs from back in Medusa days. And they're, they've still got it. They're still better like that too. Because yeah. I'm more like, I'm more into like the Chelsea Smile era. Like a little bit, a little bit softer than, than the guttural <laughs> stuff. But like even like, and I went with my daughter and Maddie, funnily enough. So, but even like, even they said, like, when they when they played all that old, like, real screamy stuff, that was awesome. They should do more of that. I'm like, they spent 10 years doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not selling, like, stadium tickets, you know, though. Like, you know, if they want to keep yeah. playing smaller shows, they could do that fine. But that's how you go to yeah, the they, next level. Right? Well, they, and I assume they do this little medley every show. But, like, they saw a sign saying, like, fuck, you guys aren't heavy or something. And I was like, oh, stop everything. Drop the lights. And they just dropped. They just did, like, a, a fire thing. Um but it's it's a like it's a pretty pop sort of metal track. So there's a lot of bring me. Um, there's a bit of CKY, a bit of let live, a bit of kill switch, um, a lot of ghost inside, a lot of Papa Roach, and then I've just got one, <laughs> one kind of like R and B song or rap song um, by Pal. Amazing. Yeah, yeah this that is, was it. <laughs> this is the shit that's just like getting you in the gym, getting you in the zone. When you say a lot of Papa Roach, are we talking about just the Infest album or are we talking like later? No, man. What? Like, yeah, so a lot of Infest, but like that Red album um, that has like time, time and time again and like uh, Born With Nothing, Die With Everything. Even the new album, like with um, Help and American Dreams and stuff. I'm Amazing. all about it. You're all about the all fu- about it because I know they like they they kind I'm of. I'm a lifer. They went gent, didn't they? And didn't like the the singer's hair got a bit taller, and they started wearing kind of baggier clothes. It became like a bit, you know, like it was like we're not new metal band anymore. We're like a band band. And I was like, oh, look at them go. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah. Well, so I, it was just like a band that we I sort of grew with them, and my, two of my really close mates were into them. Like Maddie was into them, but I saw them couple of years ago they played with head p oh yeah <laughs> that's awesome but they played in the four no what's the one on flinders the forum yeah yeah they played the forum man it was one of the best things i've ever seen like they were so tight his voice was so on point i was like oh, okay this is like better than majority of heavy acts i've ever seen wow and i've I've seen like a lot. They were, they just owned it. And I think it's because they've been doing it so long and they just know what works. But he was like, yeah, I was a new metal believer that night. (laughs) (laughs) You cut your life into pieces. Yeah. Uh, Who do you love? Oh, everyone, man. 
No, I I love obviously my family, um, like a scary amount. Like, yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah, it, my wife Maddie, like we've been together nearly twenty years. Um, my wow. kids, like my then they're all like we're all best friends too. Like it's it's really cool. Yeah, they're um, bringing you waffles while you're doing podcasts. It seems like a lovely <laughs> well, home not, environment. Yeah, it's like you know we've got, we've got all got insider jokes. Like we we um we hang out together. It's it's really cool. Like I without them, I'd be absolutely nothing. You'd be um, covered in rubbish in Newcomb, eating KFC still probably. Yeah, if I wasn't, you know, dead. <laughs> <laughs> if New Zealand bands hadn't killed you yet. Yeah, um, um, but I love Mark Hamill. <laughs> uh, love the love the guys I work with. Love you, Rory. Love it's got a lot of a lot of love for people that I've known for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. We've all made it, yeah. you know? It's like we've all come this far. It's lovely to see. Yeah. Um what about Autobots or Decepticons? Uh um so little context to me, like I'm that shit person when you play what would you rather that needs all the context for half an hour to make an informed choice. So Autobots are Decepticons. Like I would auto go Autobots just for Optimus. Yeah. However, if we're talking vintage G1 toys. We are, we can be, and I would like you to. Decepticons. Cause those jets, man, are fucking sick. And that sound wave as well. But, 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 my love for Optimus as a character and, and just for being Optimus and his fucking voice like will always have me like, yep, Autobots straight away. But I probably like the um the Decept more of the Decepticon. <laughs> I, that's the most detailed answer to that question probably ever, and I love it. Yeah. Um <laughs> Are you are you more of a Batman or a Robin? Um a Batman. And why do you think that is? Because everyone loves to say Batman, but I like to get their answers because not many people have said Robin. Because <laughs> um, I generally am a billionaire philanthropist, playboy. <laughs> no, I, no I, um, I've just always kind of, like I'm not much of a follower. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. So, like, I feel like I'd, in a Robin scenario, I would kick it with Batman for a bit and be like, hey, man, this is really cool. Thank you. I'm going to go start my own thing, though. I'm going to go be Nightwing now. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you're Batman, but if you're not Batman, you're Nightwing. I like that. Yeah. Um, What movie could you watch every day and not get sick of? Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I love how that was ready. On the, that's yeah. a great movie, man. Dumb and Dumber, Return of the Jedi, Terminator 2. Uh, oh, you pick Return as your Star Wars of, of the original yeah. trilogy? Why Return? Because yeah. of the ending, man. When Luke defeats Vader. When he... It's it's a hero story, man. He's hiding from Vader. He's like, fuck, what am I going to do? Says he's going to hurt Leia. And then like the choir comes in, the chant, and he's like... Rah! Defeats fucking Vader, and then um, and then throws his lightsaber. Where he's like, "Kill me! I don't give a shit. I'm not being dark side. Fuck you, Emperor." Like <laughs> that plus like um, you know at the start like that big suspenseful build up, and then like 
R2 kicks his lightsaber to him. Like, there's so much. Yoda oh, dies, man, Boba, man. Fett, Boba Fett gets stupidly killed by a blind Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> what a fucking waste. Yeah. Oh. Well, they, they weren't to know. They weren't to know. <laughs> yeah, he look- was just like a shitty side character for them. It's just like, he just looked awesome and had an epic voice. But like, how the hell would you ever know that that millions of people... How would you ever know that his toy, like a prototype of his toy would be the most sought after toy and people would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for it? Like, the fuck are you supposed to know that back in the 70s? <laughs> oh, man. I'm sure Lucas had no idea what he like was doing in that process. It's just like, he's just making a little no. movie. It's like it's yeah. it's like it's like a magnificent seven in space. So it's like samurais. Like no one fucking knew, man. It was yeah. psycho. He's just trying to pay his rent. <laughs> <laughs> no one gives a shit about Boba Fett. I'm going to throw him in the Sarlacc pit. Um, uh, we're into the Patreon questions now. Uh, first MA fifteen plus movie you ever saw? Do you remember getting your hands on the cover of something that you probably shouldn't shouldn't have watched at that time? Um, there was. Terminator 2 was probably the biggest one for me because mm. I, the the ads, man, just looked so fucking good. And the the branding, the Guns N' Roses on the soundtrack, it was in like grade five or six. Couldn't, wasn't able to watch it. It was only until about, my parents got divorced and I, and I went to my dad's and he's like, you can watch it. And I was like, and I'd always seen the first half. And then as soon as it kicked over in that second half i was like fuck i'm in uncharted waters here like this is uh, it was such a big deal and i enjoyed every every nanosecond of it (laughs) that's fucking awesome dude um if you had to live in a horror movie which horror movie would you pick to live in um see i was gonna say what's that one with um we can't talk uh, the, the fairly recent one. Uh, quiet place. Quiet. I was gonna say that because he's like, oh, he's with his family, but like, we would be killed in seconds with our kids. Like, it would be the quickest death of any movie ever. Um. Uh. Horror. Oh fuck. Okay. Going through so many scenarios. <laughs> And you've got a I've family like, as well, so you've got to think more about the family protection in this yeah, scenario. Yeah, I've got to think know? of something that I can destroy. Um, something I can fight. So it wouldn't be Nightmare from Elm Street because you can't, can't fight sleep. Like no. Can't, that, that's definitely not. And I'm, I'm, I'm throwing back to those kind of classic ones. Um, I, would, I, I would live in Saw as Jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer yet. Coming up with um, coming up with ways of to fuck people I thought were unworthy of life. <laughs> you never got that script finished. We're gonna put a bear trap on your face until it's done. Yeah, get writing. <laughs> you have you have five hours. <laughs> That's amazing. It's just some dude that bullied me in primary school though. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> Yeah, you'd be like, yeah, it seems to be he's targeting people that aren't like using their lives properly, but it just seems to be all kids from this guy's primary school that picked on him. Yeah. He sounds like a judgy prick. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hey, whoa, whoa, hey. (laughs) If you had a time machine, Ryan, could go back to any gig, where would you go and what would you see? Uh, I'd go see um, 
Skid Row, Guns N' Roses, Metallica. Any, I, anywhere. <laughs> that, that tour. That Black Album, Gunners tour with Skid Row opening. That's a fuck. That's a huge bill. Like, that's, that'd be so good. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your favorite shapes flavor? Um, uh, the bacon one, I think. Oh no, the the uh, nacho cheese, the blue box. Oh, nacho cheese. See, that's a dark horse in this race because I think a lot of people is going to be split between pizza and barbecue. But you throwing in that nacho cheese thing, they are great. Never liked, never liked pizza. Definitely didn't like barbecue. Was like pizza was better than barbecue, but like I, th- I just don't think there was enough addictive chemicals on it because they were kind of old school. <laughs> when na- nacho cheese, you look at it and it's just covered in like God knows what. <laughs> yeah, man, those little yellowy like orange bits. Is that like the little? Yeah, <laughs> amazing. But it doesn't um, matter what uh, the flavor. If I have one, I'll eat the whole box though. Doesn't yeah. matter if I like it or not. They're the most addictive little thing. Totally. Um, and famous last words. Do you got any quotes or any like any lyrics or anything you like that you you know would either scroll on yourself or put on your tombstone? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're pretty lame. <laughs> um, uh, it's it's from Hamilton actually. <laughs> oh man, um, that's huge right now. It's blowing up. Yeah. Well, I saw it. Oh, and this is me trying to. I saw it before it came out on Disney Plus. That was one of the things I did in. <laughs> In London. Oh, wow. And you went and saw it like in London. I saw it, yeah, in London. Um, the week that I was getting my ego stroked. And I'm like, I've made him. I'm going to theatre. And and it was just like, oh, come and see Hamilton. I'm like, yeah, I've never been to theatre before. I'll check it out. Like, I didn't I didn't know it was like the huge fucking phenomenon it was. Um, but the line in Wait For It, that life doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. They do that about life and death and love. And it always, um, particularly one about death, because I've lost a couple of cro- close mates, obviously Dan, stuff like that. But that death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. Um, I, I don't know why. I think I find it kind of comforting because it's like, you know what? It is a gamble. Like the, no one deserves to die and it's just kind of random. And there's nothing that kind of takes the, the power out of my hands. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know... You, I think when you lose someone close, you're always like, oh, fuck, if, if I did something different. But it's just like, it's just it's just what life and death does. It just goes pick, 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 and you can't really fucking do anything about it. So, yeah, though that that really stuck with me since I watched it. That's a great line to kind of that, live your life by. Yeah, that and she's not my mother, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, man, there's going to be some Terminator watching over the weekend for sure now that we've... Yeah. <laughs> and i was listening to night train as well <laughs> before because that used to be your ringtone didn't it night train i reckon it used to just kick into that i'm on a night train like, yeah was yeah your, was that your ringtone for ages uh yeah it was for a long time i still listen to that regularly <laughs> um and i feel like there's been if they were ever going to do a sequel to the christopher walken's cowbell sketch it should so be that song like the way that cowbell just fucking kicks in. I've never been that excited about her. Ding, 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 ding. It's just, <laughs> it's so good. But no, I still, I still rock that. And, um, and the track, it's so easy. Yeah, I'll put it on. It's so easy. Let it play in a night train. And because I like night train better, but I'm like, no, I need a warm up. So then when it kicks in, I'm like fucking ready to 
Ready to dance on the little Kia Rio. Can't straight into Night Train, you know. That's <laughs> no, you need a bit of Guns N' Roses foreplay. Like, come on, <laughs> set set the mood. <laughs> oh, I love that so much, man. That's such a lovely way to end the show. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show today, man. Oh man, it was a pleasure. It was yeah, it was really fun. It was awesome, just yeah, kicking it. Oh, and good luck with everything that's happening in the future, especially this animation. It's gonna be fucking sweet. Thank you, man. You too. Hey, welcome to the Post Ramble. Hope you had a nice time listening to the Ryan Chamley episode. I certainly did, and it was a, a kick up the ass uh, creatively that I definitely needed in ISO. I don't think I'll ever forget now Ryan saying it's so easy. Because it kind of is, you know? Like, I, I love that that's his kind of mantra in all of this is like, you just got to go do it. And it also makes me think of It's So Easy, the Guns N' Roses song, which has been playing in my ears for like the last week as well. The YouTube playlist is really fun this week. It is music videos directed by Ryan Chamley. So you can see a couple of cameos from me. Uh, there's also a lot of music videos that I worked on behind the scenes with Ryan that we kind of touched on a few of them in the episode. You might see a couple of FUTL alums in some of the previous videos as well. Uh, keep an eye out for a long-haired Matt Cleary in the I Killed the Prom Queen clip. He's wearing like a gas mask and a uh, a giant trench coat and he looks very 2020 uh years before his time so <laughs> go check out that one <laughs> love you matt you can also follow the link in the description to support the show on patreon uh if you've got a couple of bucks kicking around in this crazy time and you want to support the show it would be greatly appreciated thank you so much to all the patrons thank you so much to all the listeners we'll be back with another episode very soon thanks for listening <laughs>